Welcome to the Safety Doc Podcast with author, radio host, and nationally recognized safety expert, Dr. David Perodin. Join us each week as we discuss the best and most bizarre practices in safety preparation and crisis response. Follow Dr. Perodin on Twitter at SafetyPhD. And remember, the truth will keep you safe. Hey, everybody. It is your good friend, Dr. David Proden from down here in the historic North Star Recording Studio. Wishing you well this day after Christmas here, December 26, 2022. Hope everybody is doing well. Hope you had a great Christmas. Um, I had to reset the, um, the saturation levels here on the camera. I was going in between some programs and I didn't realize, but it was uh, the, the white balance got way off again um, today. So I did a university lecture and I was going and editing it and in post-production, it wasn't much I could do. Not that big of a deal, but, uh, but I was like, what's going on here? And I went in and somehow my, everything that I had kind of calibrated before got reset to the baseline. So I have adjusted it somewhat. I think it's okay, but um, but yeah, it uh, I might have to tweak it a little bit. But if you think it looks okay, everybody out there, if you think it looks all right, Vanessa, Sunflowers, and Jim, then we'll go with it. So um, yeah, we are we are done with the uh, the severe weather. So you know, as far as like the the blizzard, I mean. The roads were definitely uh, snowed over here and, and high winds. Um, but that did, by yesterday, you know, that was pretty much, um, that was pretty much gone. It's still really cold. But now today, like, you know, 17 degrees tomorrow in the 20s, be in the 40s here in a couple of days. So, um, yeah, and then we're into January and, you know, uh, the chances of, of getting these big storms starts to, you know, starts to di- diminish. But uh, But anyway... Um, yeah, <laughs> I'm glad we, glad we got through that, um, burned a lot of firewood and, and, uh, still burning a lot today, but, um, but yeah, had a good, had a good Christmas. So, um, again, Jim, Sunflowers, Vanessa, Solitude, all pro Lemonton saying hello here. Um, Sunflowers, safety dog, the blizzard in Illinois was supposed to get, was a flop. Yeah. So we... Um, yeah, it, it didn't get as bad here. It was still bad. Um, and where we had to restrict travel because I, I went in town to the grocery store and, you know, the, the road down from us, which is one of the larger roads in town was, was largely drifted kind of to one lane. Um, but then, you know, as of, of yesterday, things were pretty good. And the day before they were better, but we still had, you know, 25 mile an hour winds. And, um, as we drove did some traveling yesterday for Christmas, drove past people, you know, people's vehicles were still in the ditch waiting to get towed out. So, um, video and audio. Good. Thank you, Vanessa. So, um, appreciate that. I really do like the kind of the new camera, the new, the new mic, not so new anymore, but, um, but yeah, when I hop between programs, it must have it must have done a reset on something. But so, so this, again, I was you know just editing these these university lectures uh, today, which I kind of I added down to like seven minutes. But then I was like, holy smokes, that's on a different on a different channel. So um, 
my water supply partially at frozen, but not a big deal, Jim. So yeah, that would be bad. I can't imagine what that would be like to be dealing with frozen or busted pipes. So uh, see if you my public library, my workplace. Oh, decided not to. They will find them for me to check out. Oh my goodness, sunflowers. It's hard to believe. It's hard to believe, but so they're going to find them. Oh my goodness. Well, you tried, so I appreciate that. Um, yeah, well, all right. Vanessa bought them for her local library and donated them. Wow, thank you, Vanessa. Appreciate that. Um, yeah. The rain, um, my hope for popsicle freeze did not show up. The rain stopped before the temp dropped like a rock. It's Vanessa. So, wow. Wow. Um, oh, I went uh, at, at oil change. We got our vehicle a year ago and um, our SUV. So I had it into the dealership today, just, you know, routine. And then um, when I got there, the doors were open and, and it looked, there was ice all around the dealership. It was just really weird. And I went in and over Christmas, a pipe froze and broke in a wall. So the area, um, the salesperson area was all flooded out. The area, you know, I don't know, the waiting room, I guess is what you'd call it, was all flooded out. And, oh, apparently they had been working there for a few hours before I showed up and squeegeeing, pushing stuff out. Uh, the water was all turned off, but they were still able to to work on the vehicle. That area uh, was was okay, apparently. But, um, yeah, just a, just a mess um, because it's like where the furniture and the cabinets and all that, that was all uh, all wet so <laughs> i'm like oh my goodness i could just tell her was this when you walked in there and um i was like what happened so but uh i imagine yeah they didn't they didn't find it until the first person was probably there this morning uh wow so this is actually this looks like a blue shirt it's actually gray so i don't know color saturation is still a little off this is kind of a gray blue yeah, I don't, <laughs> I don't know. Like, well, not not that big of a thing. But um, I had uh, I had something quirky happen today. So I'm teaching a university class in spring that I've taught for many years. But that class is 100% online. And when I I built the course and you know extensively kind of upgraded it this year, um, I went in today and was doing some last minute things because I had recorded these lectures, introduction video, and they had to link them all out. Everything was working fine. And I clicked one button and it's hide goes from hide class to show class. So if you show class, then your students, when they log in, it'll show up then, right? Okay, class is ready. I can go in and see what's happening. And the moment I click show, everything went blank on the screen. I've never had this happen before. And so I'm like, holy smokes, man, what just happened? And then I refreshed it, and then the only thing left on screen was the shell of the class, meaning like week one, week two, week three, week four, and it was nothing populated. I mean, we're talking like 30 hours easily to build this class. Everything's gone. There's no backup because it's built in the system. So I'm like, holy smokes, I'd have no idea what happened. So I log out, 
shut down the computer, log back in. And I was, like I said, I've done this for years. I never had this happen. And uh, I was getting the same thing. So uh, university shut down, you know, there's nobody there. I was able to get a hold of the Dean. Yes, the Dean. Um, I have a cell number and I just said, hey, uh, this happened, right? Um, I'm pretty sure I didn't do it. Like I, I, it's showing up like everything that was put in there is gone. Um, and the thing is like, I don't know if the university system like backs up every night or every couple nights, but if people aren't going to be there. Like this could get over. So this could be overwritten, right? If it's saved somewhere and it's just not showing up. So like, I can't get a hold of anybody, right? Everything's shut down. Um, can you get a hold of somebody? So, you know, I sent some, some images, right. Of what was going on. Um, and so the Dean was, Dean was great and, uh, you know, got things resolved. Um, but that, that whole kind of spring course rollout thing has been a little quirky, um, this year. And thankfully I went in and I checked and everything is, is back now. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, even my enrolled students were gone. So everything had been and there was no like recycle bin. And I'm like, well, I know I didn't delete it. Cause I just click the one setting would go in from view, hide to view. And, uh, but I'm like, Oh my God. Um, <laughs> and I'm just like, if I have to, if I get news that I have to rebuild this class, because I mean, a lot of it, I didn't save. Um, cause that's just not what you're doing when you're building in a system that is kind of saving itself. Right. It's, um, but it was, it was like trying to save something you have on a Google drive, right? There should be redundancy, but <laughs> anyway, it's back up. And, but I was, uh, I was pretty frazzled by that because just like, that's the reason I work ahead on these things, like over Thanksgiving break and progressively to get these things done where I have plenty of time in case there is a hitch. But then I started to, I turned it on, <laughs> checked if I could view it from my my phone and stuff like that, and then I could. But uh, but yeah, it was it was pretty chaotic. I was I was pretty stressed by <laughs> by that. But so it's all pro Leventon saying. Have you and other faculty been talking about that chat AI thing? Saw articles that it's a super smart AI that kids are using to write original college papers. I, I haven't. No. Um. Yeah. You know, a lot of the stuff that I do is. Uh, in-person, right? So we do in-person case studies. Um, the final exam is a 20-minute phone call with me. And, you know, you have outline of points, but I'm the one that asks the questions. Um, so, and I, I don't, you know, for my student, yeah, I guess to some extent they could kind of do that, but it's usually like what, identify the different state agencies that have to do with education and whether you've interacted with them and what do they do. So <laughs> I don't know if your AI is going to go do that versus you're just having to go to those sites. And I can see some people just go in and click like the, the oh, this site in the first paragraph and paste it in. And well, at least you've been there, I guess. But um, but yeah, I don't, I don't really have anything like what is your philosophy of education? Because I'm sure like a bot could pump that out. Um, and so, yeah, like I built, uh, uh, yeah, you know, we talked about it, the Narcan vending machine. So I actually built one of the case studies on that um, topic of saying your, your um, 
school district wants to do this, right? And so you have to present to the board or your your district is considering this Narcan vending machine. What uh, what would be your positions like for or against? Which I suppose you can kind of look up, but I give some context for that. And then there's like a allergy case study um, that I very specific profile of a student put. But a lot of it is like the in-person case studies, like all my fall stuff. Um, yeah, most of it is all things that we do during class. Um, so, but no, you're you're right. I mean, I think there's um, AI blog post. I had a couple of people contact me and say, you know, if you just you could you could streamline your blog post task load of of putting that in and having an AI system write that. I'm like, um, I suppose like you know I could, but I won't, and I don't I don't think it would turn out the same, but or you know similar to what I'm trying to intend. But yeah, I mean, if you're especially a 100, 200, and you have to write, you know, a paper on whatever, the Industrial Revolution or something, it's like, how much of that is is authentic, you know, these days uh, versus, yeah, AI come in and, or I don't know, pretty crazy. It's, it's pretty, pretty crazy stuff. So... A number of sites uh, process papers to see if they've been plagiarized. Yeah, the university has that feature available to us as faculty, and um, you know I don't need to use that. I don't really have anything that's that's going through that. Um, you know, because again, I have assignments like, you know, go to your district website and find your pupil services non discrimination policy, your Act three hundred nine policies. So I'm like, you know, they have to find that, then they have to copy, and then when was it last updated? Which is right on the policy, right? And what professional development um, did you receive specific to this or did staff receive? So if you get an AI to work that out for you, you're in pretty good shape. So, um, but was there a virus? Not that I'm aware of. I don't, I don't think there was anything going on at the university. I don't know if this affected other people or not, but, um, but it was, it was strange. Um, I don't know. I don't know what it was. I don't think there, I don't think there was anything wide, spread um i i i I honestly don't know um they'll get a hold of me the tech people are going to look into it more because even though it's resolved and it's there now and i do have the full backup of it uh they're still saying it's really it's strange i had screenshots i'm like (laughs) it actually wasn't here right i took screen i took a little video of like what i was seeing uh screen capture so and, uh, you know, so if it happened to me, right, it could happen to other people or it could happen again. So that's where, you know, um, but I don't, I, yeah, I, I, have, I have no indication to think it was like a virus or anything like that. So um, I'm sure they'll, they'll figure out or they'll just say, we're not sure what it was, but we're, <laughs> we're all good. Holy smokes, that's crazy. Um these are original papers through the plagiarism sites can't detect. Whoa. Yeah. I mean, I would imagine, you know, the more and more time goes on, the harder and harder it's going to get to be, to identify that. And as a faculty member, right, you're only going to have so much time and resources to put into it versus like feeding every paper through these plagiarism, um, or especially like at the high school, at the high school level. So... If could really be abused in undergrad classes, yes. I remember in my undergrad a lot of writing that was kind of like, you know, 
philosophical points um, or poli-sci, you know, type stuff or whatever it was that, um, you know. So, wow. Um, Vanessa's saying, you know, if you do math topics, it would tend to be difficult. So, yep, yeah. Um, most of the research papers one writes in college uh, seems useless to me. Um, okay, I I had uh, I had a number of of papers and things that I wrote when I was probably you know oh freshman sophomore junior, which you know didn't you know it was a task, right? It didn't didn't <laughs> didn't fill the cup, right? But uh, when I got into you know, like my doctoral program, you know, that you, I was able to tailor that to stuff that I was using. So, or would use. Um, so, but yeah, a lot of the, a lot of the um, freshman and sophomore stuff didn't, <laughs> I don't know, long time ago, long, long time ago. So, yeah, I would hate to hear that too, Sunflowers. So I was so thankful when I logged back in. I shut it, the entire system off, logged out, logged back in, was checking for my phone. Nothing was, it still hadn't, wasn't showing up. But then when I came back after like an hour or so, um, it was there. But there's also a quirky thing. There's a class that shouldn't be there. That's kind of a developmental class that I think they use when they're testing stuff out. And that showed up in my list of classes that shouldn't be there. Um, so that's where I do think there was some kind of reset in the in the system. But um, but I guess that all's all's good now. So um, yeah. And if anything, it, I guess usually I never save a class until it kicks off in case I'm adding things to it or adjusting. It. And I've never had a problem with that. Um, but in this case, I guess I would progressively save versions of it from now going forward. I don't know. It's kind of, it's kind of like that hard drive failure, right? Where I lost all the safety doc podcast. Uh, but, you know, usually at the university level, I'm thinking it's because I'm building their system. They've got the backups, but so. Vanessa saying a favorite paper I wrote was about the hypercube of monkeys. It is about symmetrical rotations in four dimensions. Holy smokes. Wow. Wow. That is pretty wild. Have I ever, ever had a bus students for plagiarism? Um, I don't think so. I mean, again, the classes I'm teaching don't really, the, the stuff that I assign doesn't really lend itself to that. What might happen is if, if somebody okay, like I have to make sure they're answering the question. So if I'm saying, you know, talk about the state agencies that you work with the different, whatever, and your experience is working with them or um, any experience with your district. So sometimes people just list them and I'm like, yeah, okay, I know what these are, right? <laughs> or like a description. I'm like, my question to you is, do you know did you know these existed before I brought these up? And have you gone to any conferences by these 
groups and whatever. So, um, but that's usually kind of just not, I don't know if I'm not communicating the assignment well enough, but um, no, I don't. Um, I do. I, I usually keep things really current, right? So I, I just built a new case study um, over break. So it's, you know, people go, oh, like you've got, you know, Dr. P's class. Well, here's the three case studies that you'll do in class. <laughs> but um, I change those based upon what's happening. You know, like the new Senate bill from, you know, Senator Tammy Baldwin about standing order from Narcan. So I just built out a case study on that. But uh, so, no, um, it's been a <laughs> one university I taught with. I had a couple students I had to fail for not doing their their work and you know, I'd email people and, you know, and the, they would provide a phone number you could contact. And so that's the number you have to use. You can't like try to find people in other places, but if they have a contact number, you can call and say, Hey, just a reminder, you know, there's some stuff post due in class. If any questions, you know, get a hold of me. Otherwise, you know, expect it to be in, um, you know, within 48 hours or something. I don't know, it's been a long time since that. that and again, uh, people I teach, they know what the expectations are, and um, you know, they're not they're not kind of freshmen and and sophomores. But uh, Vanessa's saying I like to find the oldest resources I can cite in a paper. One paper I used a citation of fourteen hundreds, circa manuscript. Wow, that that really anchors it down. So that's cool. That's cool. Um, so um, today we are talking about the bystander effect. And actually, I kind of like would need, I'd like to send this screen, but it's over here, which is easier because the rest of the arm is here. But then I have to kind of talk through the mic. So, but uh, the bystander effect. So this was recommended by our good friend Andrew. Um, and I like it. I like it. And I learned when I was doing this, I, I thought it would be pretty obvious, but there was, there was more to it and a couple takeaways. So this is something I'm going to incorporate when I talk about school safety, discretion, and decision-making. But the title of today's show, this is actually Safety Doc Podcast 200. Yes, folks, we made it. And because we made it, we have to do this. Two hundredth show. It's the two hundredth show. Yeah. Which uh, so two hundred as far as video, audio, and a blog post. If I took every blog post and put it in a book, it would be seven hundred pages long. Think about that. Um, but yeah, so it is a little bit of a celebration here. I remember um, when I got to like 150 shows and kind of looking up at, uh, you know, would I get to 200? Um, and then to be there, I, I think it's a it's a it's a really meaningful milestone to get to 200 episodes um, in a show, right? So I'm glad that I'm there. Thank you, everybody, for uh, helping, you know, 
be a part of that. But yes, I'm at uh, today is show 200. So bystander effect. Why are we unwilling to help when others are watching? Bystander effect. So I'm going to read the intro. Um, they put together here, right? So you can check this. Actually, I have a couple citations here, but I actually have sources down in my uh, in my blog post here and in the description. So, um, so it's counterintuitive, but research findings indicate that someone in need is more likely to receive help when one person is present compared to when several people are standing by. That's right. You are less inclined to help another person in trouble if you are in a group. But wouldn't the group be more capable and powerful to help than any single individual of the group? So kind of like the conjunction fallacy, right? Like the group itself can't have more skills than one person. One person in the group can't have more skills than the group because they would already be in the group and they'd have that skill set. So um, most of us have, have seen inspiring videos of strangers locking arms to create a human chain in order to rescue victims struggling in a swollen river. Anecdotally, we might be more willing to collectively intervene to counter a force of nature. That river won't hire a lawyer and sue us. In this episode, Doc defines a bystander effect, identifies the three types of bystander effect, provides reasons for the bystander effect, and concludes with ways to overcome the bystander effect. So right there, the bystander effect is a bad, it's a bad thing. So, um, so what is it? So psychologists uh, Bib Latane and John Darley identified a pattern of behavior they called the bystander effect, which they demonstrated in their labs for the first time in 1968. I'm pretty sure it was there before 1968, but from a research perspective, this is kind of where things begin with Latane and Darley back in 68. They describe it as a behavior that occurs when the presence of others discourages an individual from intervening in, emergen in an emergency situation. Latine and Darley were spurred to their studies by a 1964 murder of Kitty Genovese uh, um, in New York City, um, a case that became infamous because of observers in action. Genovese. Uh, age 28, was returning from her job as a manager of a bar when she was brutally attacked and murdered near her residence in Queens, New York. 38 eyewitnesses stood by as she was stabbed and killed. None of them called police. So again, that's, that's 1964. Um, so they were, this was what inspired Latane and, and Darley to more formally study this. So again, the bystander effect of saying, if if it's just if somebody needs help, right? And they're like, I need you know help. You're the only person there. Um, it's more likely you're going to help than if you are there with ten other people. It's less likely you or any of the other people there are going to help out. Doesn't mean it doesn't happen, but it just means the bigger the group. It's it's inverse the bigger the group the less likely they are to help out like one person now again people um you know stop at a scene of an accident and somebody runs out and does something we're going to get into that because that is that is part part of what kind of um short circuits this whole bystander effect but 
Yeah. So what what does it mean in school safety, right? If you have a, a you know group of responders, um, I think it's like who's going to enter the building, right? Like who's under whose jurisdiction, and you know who. So so those types of things start to to come into play. Um, but yeah, the the bystander effect again. If there's a lot, and you look at this and you'd say, oh, collectively though, the group has a lot of power. Like there's a lot of knowledge, there's a lot of strength, there's just a different skills, different tools that this that they could use, but they don't. They pull out their phone and then they just watch as you're in your demise, right? So, um, so there are three types of bystander effect. Oh my God, did I do? I think I, I, I did. I did. Uh, I've got to find those. I did overlays for this, <laughs> uh, for for the blog post. So let me find them in the folder here. Where is the folder? Here it is. Dun, 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 dun. Did it sync across? I'm pretty sure it did. Uh, what? Hmm. All right. Maybe it didn't sink across. Let's see here. I got another place where that could be. Um, uh, yep, I got it. Okay, so here we go. Let's do this, screen share. Share screen. There it is, bystander effect. So this will also be in the blog post. Um, the definition, behavior that occurs when the presence of others discourages an individual from intervening in an emergency. So. Pretty counterintuitive, right? You, th you would think the more people you'd have, the more someone within that group would be able to, or that collectively a few people to contribute, the knowledge base would be greater, the number of tools, equipment that could be brought into it would make, make more sense. The reluctance behavior is also present with static surveillance. This was something I learned. So if people um, felt they were going to be on video cameras. So again, you weren't worrying about this, you know, really 50 years ago, right? For all practical purposes. But, but now, um, this is, this is creeping its way in, right? Oh, I'm going to help. I'm going to, here's a car accident, right? Or there was a, you know, someone on a, a bike who hit a bollard, right? And, and they're down on the ground. But now if I go to help, like there's other people who are going to be recording this probably, or there's a, you know, their ring doorbell that's going to see this or their surveillance at a pizza place, you know, or block away. But um, if people feel that they're, they're, they're being statically uh, observed right through, through this camera system, they're going to be less likely to um, help out. So it has a similar impact as if they're in a group of 20 people or a group of 100 people, or if they're there alone, 
but they, you know, can identify, oh, there's the camera and, or, you know, there's somebody standing 40 feet away and they, they have a camera, like they're pointing at me. Um, so this is interesting. Um, the, how the static surveillance, um, is, and I think, I think part of this is, you know, we don't, we don't cover this in like Good Samaritan, right? You know, because I think people, I think, I not think, I know people have questions, right? Where they'll say, I, I didn't know, like, what if I help out, right? And there's video and then the video is used to show that I did something that was technically wrong, like how I moved somebody. But again, I'm looking at this and, you know, um, so just crazy, just crazy. So we'll get out of that. Um, yeah, yeah. Let me get this. Dun, 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 dun. Okay. So there are three types of bystander effect. The, uh, the first, so do I have a slide for this? Gosh, I do. Look at that. So I got a slide for this one too. Three types of bystander effect. The first is diffusion of responsibility. So, you know, okay, somebody, you know, George Bailey's brother, right, you know, fell through the ice and I'm here with 100 people and none of us are going out there to try to help him. Um, then, you know, I'm one one-hundredth responsible is how they, you know, shed that urgency to act, the diffusion of responsibility. And then if they think, well, like, look at some of the people around here, like they look like they're in, you know, they're either more physically fit to rescue or look at that person, you know, like they're wearing a uniform, like they should be able to, to jump in. Look at me. I'm just, just a typical citizen here, but uh, this diffusion of responsibility. So, Again, you know, think of it, 100 people, and this person's like, well, I'm 1% one, one responsible for the outcome on this. If it had 99%, you know, amateurized across everybody else, spread across everybody else. The, the second thing is the fear of being judged. And, and so this has been there, you know, in the last 50 years. These are the, the three types. The fusion of responsibility, um, fear of being judged. And so again, when this first came out, it was, you know, maybe the people who are standing there, well, they don't have a camera, they don't have a, a video camera. There's likely only going to be, you know, maybe some testimony that they might give to a responder or officer or something. Well, what happened here? Well, you know, this person, you know, fell down the stairs and whatever, and they weren't moving. And then this person came over and, was trying to check their pulse and breathing, I guess, whatever it was. But, um, and so, you know, you're, it's this, the fear of being judged. This is amplified significantly right now, right? Because you have all of this forensic information, which is in the form of, of the videos taken. So, you know, you could be rendering first aid to somebody um and there could you know be 50 different videos of it from 50 different angles right and so 
you know, there's going to be this this potential to be hyper analyzed, especially if there's anything of a of a lawsuit that comes in. So, the fear of being judged. Number three is plural pluralistic ignorance. And I had to dig deeper into this one. I didn't quite understand the intent at first. But so in other words, an individual mistakenly believes that everyone else disagrees with them when in reality, most share their opinion. So what this means is, let's say, again, this person, you know, falls through the ice. All right. And, you know, I'm standing there along shore with other people and I think, well, we can get like, if we can get four or five people and do like a human chain, we can get out there and, uh, and pull this person in. Um, right. But then I'm looking around saying, I'm the only one that thinks this, no one else is thinking this. Like everyone thinks this is way too dangerous. They must know something. I don't know. They, they believe there's a, 75 foot drop off like five feet from shore i mean or there's whatever it is like that they have um oh someone else they call responders responders are two minutes away so so you talk yourself out of taking action because you 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 think you should take action right you think oh i could do this like i could i could maneuver this it would still be pretty safe um but then you're like well i'm you know these other people must think this is a crazy, what, what I'm thinking is crazy because otherwise we'd be doing this. But actually like, you know, everyone, and not everyone, but there are a lot of people are thinking just what you are. Like, well, let's just make a human chain and uh, and get out there, you know, and, and bring this person back in. So that's this pluralistic ignorance. It's when it's better to maybe just talk out loud than yeah, of, of what you think should be done instead of, um, it's kind of like the Socratic method talking to yourself, but like, you know, you know, so other people like, you know, what, what should we do? What is, what are, you know, I think we, we should do this. Um, I don't know. I don't, would other people just still like be like, well, then you do that. <laughs> um, but it, it is strange. Um, but it's, it's the psychology. So diffusion response. So they're, they're very different. First, I thought they were, you know, more similar number one and number three. Number one is there's a hundred people and you're like, well, I'm one out of a hundred. If I'm not going to help and something bad happens, I'm one one hundredth responsible. Um, number two is fear of being judged. And boy, is that escalating um, with cameras, right? And you know already if it's a state of static surveillance, that there's a camera up in the corner or something, you're much less likely to... Um, intervene in an in emerg- in an emergency. Even if it's just you and the other person, if there's a camera up there, you're much less likely to. Pluralistic ignorance is when you 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 know are just psychologically kind of going through it and, you, and you, you basically talk yourself out of helping because you you think there's a clear path. You think this could be done. Um you know uh, or right someone could grab the AED, check airway, breathing, circulation, someone should, whatever. And, but then you're like, well, maybe that person, it's an opioid overdose, or maybe there was fentanyl and people might've, maybe some people know that here. So that's why they're staying away. They're, they're keeping a distance. So, um, and you're like, but again, like if you were to individually ask people, they would say, no, I, you know, 
I thought I should have gone over and checked. But then I'm guessing other people, because other people weren't doing it, it kind of makes you stand out. Like, what do they know that I don't know? What am I missing? Maybe I'm not thoroughly thinking this through. So so as we look at this, um, a couple things is that diffusion of responsibility, um, you just got to get, if, if you're going to act, like you just got to get beyond that. Fear of being judged. Unfortunately, that's the way things are. This is where, again, time and time again, I I harp on the uh, Good Samaritan law at a state level. There needs to be more done at the state levels. I would say Good Samaritan week or you know first aid in Good Samaritan month to educate people about that. Uh, pluralistic ignorance is people have tacit knowledge, right? We have a good sense for what we can do safely and what we can't. Um, so in most situations, your tacit knowledge is going to be right on the nose. So that's where pluralistic ignorance are thinking, well, the group here knows better than I do. They're st- they're keeping out of it. So who am I to intervene? That's, you got to get beyond that. So what I, what I also found fascinating is today, this is the first time I, I formally studied this. This is the first time I have ever, you know, we've talked about it in a podcast. Um, so, you know, with my career in safety and my career as a university professor, you know, aspiring school leaders and stuff, we never talked about this. Nobody ever talked about this in any of the classes I had. And, uh, well, thank you for the 13 thumbs up. Um, nobody talked about this in any of the classes that I had. I never talked about this before. But it really comes into play. There are case studies that we go through, like the wandering child with autism in the woods, and we kind of we talked about the law of necessity, and that's part of it, right? But also diffusion of responsibilities at play there, fear of being judged, pluralistic ignorance, right? Well, you know, who am I? You know, I'm just a you know a second grade teacher to conduct like a a search. Like we should wait for the the search people, you know, to show up, even though that's 40 minutes, you know, down the road or something like that. So, um, but I think when you talk about these things and actually do professional development, I would have loved to have done a breakout session at start of year professional development or anytime, but um, just on these things. And then also say discretion and uh, best interest, right? So, um you know, where, when does your discretion kick in and, and acting in the best interest? And, and then also understanding like this type of thing affects and how might you, you know, how might you see that, um, whether it's uh, something to do with school safety could be, uh, right, um, smoke. Uh, it could be, you know, somebody's, somebody's injured or, you know, whatever, we could just go down in it, but it, but this whole thing of bystander effect and talking about it, um, and then also talking about it with students, probably into middle and high school. I think this would be a fascinating um, kind of, they have these, these smaller units, I forget what they're called, where they go through in homeroom, you know, they do like a 10 minute unit. Um, it's, it's usually to build rapport, like with a, with a staff member and, kind of school connecting and stuff, but this would be great to do during one of those to ask students, you know, like, Hey, yeah, you know, you're, you're out, da, 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 you know, 
play in baseball or or something like that and you the field you know over from you somebody gets you know bonked in the you know face with a ball and they're like passed out and like and you're like whoa like i should you know should go over there and you know see if they'll respond i should you know check in if there's any bleeding right that that you need to put pressure on and and those types of things like would you do it or would you would you not do it and what if there was a big crowd there what if there wasn't um what if you started to help and people were you know standing all around you and you just looked and all you saw were well, were the back or backs of phones right everyone was recording you but i i think this is really important um for people to understand this because to me it's a barrier to getting involved and maybe there are times when it's not smart to get involved, right? Like, for example, I mean, there's a car accident. Uh, you know, there's some cars on the the interstate. There's still traffic going around. The weather's bad. I mean, we see these videos where even when squad cars are out with the lights and everything, you know, a vehicle careens into them. So there are some instances, instances right? It's not going to be safe for you to introduce yourself into a, a scenario. But we're not really talking about that today. We're talking about uh, a situation when, you know, not necessarily there wouldn't be any risk to you, but the risk to use, if your risk reward thing is going on, the risk to use pretty low. Um, so, yeah, this is what we're talking about right here. Diffusion of responsibility, fear of being judged, pluralistic ignorance. Um, I wish I would have, I'm going to incorporate this if I do another PBS presentation. I'm going to dig into this deeper. I found additional studies, but, uh, but I think this is fascinating because um, diffusion of responsibility. Yeah, I, I, I guess I knew that um, the fear of being judged and how that's amplified in, in the current age with cameras and the fact that just if a camera is there, right? I hadn't really thought about that. And pluralistic ignorance of how people can just quickly talk them out talk talk themselves out of doing what needs to be done because they're like, well, other people are here and they've already assessed this and they must have figured it's a bad idea to do whatever I'm going to do. Like, so, um, but yeah, I mean, it's pretty, uh, and then I, I always kind of put this on its head and I'm like, well, what if it was me? You know, like, what if I had been in a bike accident, right? And, uh, and I'm lying on the road and hit my head and I'm unconscious, right? And, um, you know, I would want people to evaluate whether they could safely do that. And if there's, you know, 10, 20 people there, I would hope they're not all just filming it, filming it live to their YouTube channels and, uh, doing YouTube shorts and stuff like that on it. So, um, so let's go over to the chat and then we'll, we'll come back. So. So Andrew, um, all right, let's do, um, Heath, I saw someone steal a kayak in front of everyone in the store. They walked in, grabbed the boat off the rack and walked out with it. And everyone uh, didn't know what to do. That's wild. Right. And in that case, right. Um, it's property. You don't own it, but it's, that's, that's wild. I had a friend. Um, 
who, when he was going to college, uh, he was working at a Shopco, and he, and he, he said, you know, there were times it'd be kind of organized. I mean, this was back thirty years ago. You know, this the shoplifters would come in and you know quickly take a TV and just you know exit with it, right? So, and yeah, but you're right. Like, what do you what do you do in that case? Um, Two ambulances and four medics were not enough. It's Vanessa. Working Kmart in the 80s, we regularly had people wander the store with a cart, fill it up, and then just push out the front door. Although they amazingly they thought no one was watching. And the thing today, right, is like there's no prosecution. And then if it does, the person is taken into custody. You know, your your district attorney isn't going to press charges in a lot of these cases. And it's happening close to us, too. So, um, yeah. Do you know how to render first aid to folks in your own home or to yourself so you can get them help? That's Vanessa. It's a great point, Vanessa. I go back to when I had Lisa Lenny on the show, attorney Lisa Lenny. And her, when we were talking about um, the law of necessity, you know, she was bringing that to, you know, we really need to teach people about first aid and then from that roll in the good samaritan right and from that the law of necessity and and things like this but but that should all be together it's very like you get it and like you know bacon and he's like you guys get it right um but it's really strange that that isn't some package deal of of first aid cpr um you know good samaritan and then this whole thing too of just some psychological some section in the pamphlet of you know they're going through their workbook of the psychological thing but you know i bet people are afraid to talk about the bystander effect because then what if someone intervenes and it was a time when they obviously shouldn't have intervened there's down power wires right and they're, they're trying to hop between them to get to somebody and they they you know get electrocuted and die and then they're like well here you know and and he, so anytime you have to leave it to somebody's, you know, discretion and best interest and their skills, how they've been trained, how they f- they're physically able to do things, um, that's where people really are going to get iffy. But you know, I've seen, I've I've seen very specific training, like in schools, they have what's called seclusion and restraint training, which uh, is, is very detailed, and, and that can, you know obviously spark some controversy, but, uh, but I don't know. I, you know, states have good Samaritan on the, the law. I think they need to be very over it. They need to be providing first aid. We need to be doing this for free. You know, I, I was talking to some uh, yesterday at Christmas, I was talking and I was saying, you know what, this, the, the app to find lost people, the government app from Homeland security is like eight bucks. And now it's like a private company, and I don't have anything against a private company. It's the fact that it was developed by Homeland Security, then Homeland Security, the budget should have just perpetually funded, right, this. They should have said to whatever, we'll pay you so much a download or we'll buy it and then like contract with you to do periodic updates and then it's like free. So it's just crazy. It's crazy what do we spend, all this money gets allocated to other things. And so, um, yeah. 
Vanessa, sister-in-law fell from a vehicle. She blacked out, smacked her head on the driveway. I was out there with doggy. Holy smokes. So, and so there's a, there's a situation, right? You know, one person shows up probability that they're going to intervene. Um, 10 people are there, 20 people, it goes down. Um, bacon, my reasoning for not helping people out. Yeah, that's right. You have to, you have to weigh, you, you have to look into that. And, you know, that's where, especially now with, with fentanyl, um, has, I mean, that's almost like a show tile, right? Has fentanyl killed the good Samaritan? Actually, that wouldn't be a bad, I'd have to interview somebody about that though. I'd have to find like a EMT or something to do that. If you know an EMT who wants to be on the show, let me know. I think that has, has uh, fentanyl killed a good Samaritan. Um, and not just fentanyl, but just, you know, I, you're, you're right. I, I remember when I interviewed, um, Kevin Sullivan on my, on my show and, and for my book, um, he's a physician's assistant, um, had been in the Iraq war, but, uh, he, he sent me some photos. I might've, I don't know if I used them in the blog post or not. I don't think I did, but, um, he pulled somebody from a burning vehicle and this was like in the States, right? Uh, 10 years ago. And when he, he got this guy out of the vehicle, the guy like kind of came to and he started to fight Kevin. <laughs> so Kevin is like still trying to get him out of the vehicle because the vehicle's on fire and this guy's just like flailing and trying to hit at him. And I don't know if the guy was like confused, didn't know what happened. And, and they thought he was being dragged out of his car, maybe just passed out. But so, man, these are great. It's crazy stuff though, but nobody ever talks about these things. And I think with contemporary first aid, first aid, this, this stuff needs to come in on the, a little bit of a psychological background. And then also, you know, Hey, if you're in a group, it's less likely someone's going to go run and grab the AED. So we just know that, even though it doesn't make any sense. Right. Um, Kmart paid you in cash. Holy smokes. Now that is a deal. Um, Heath is saying it's hard to dress your own hand. Yes. Bacon, don't help them because they voted for it. That is Andrew. Um, yes, yeah, some injuries and traumas to yourself cannot, you can't do anything about. You might not even be able to ask for help or anything. Right. I mean, absolutely, Vanessa. You have to have a keen ability to do risk and reward. And if you're like, I, I can't get over there, right? I can't, I can't make it. There's, I can't contribute directly. I can call somebody, but that's another part, even like calling somebody. Remember, we, we went back to 1964 and the, the murder of the young lady in, in New York and 38 observers, but no one called the police. Um, so yeah, are you, are you trying to get the rescuers there? Are you up by the road? So when the rescuers show up, you can direct them down or to the area where this person is. I don't know, but you know, these are things we don't cover. I, we didn't, I, we don't cover this in the school. I, we don't see it really on the, the FEMA sites for, um, different self-study safety stuff. 
like the ICS uh, is a course. We don't see a course kind of themed on this. Uh, I think the reason, though, again, is this becomes subjective and you know, I'm sure the legal folks somewhere are like, well, if you tell people to use their judgment and they they make the wrong call, right? Um, yeah, you've just kind of kind of said that. I don't agree with that. But that's where I think the Good Samaritan law comes into place. I mean, but uh, yeah. This is Vanessa. You end up laying on the blacktop watching to see those crowds starting rather then acting right on. Yeah. And now, not only that the they, you know, now they're there and they're recording it. And it's not just that they're recording it, you know, for they're recording it and live streaming it, you know, it becomes becomes this event type thing. So it's crazy, right? Just it's a it's it's not good. Um 93, a nurse um uh was two vehicles uh back. She ran and asked people for car mats, et cetera, why mats? Um, Utah was already 115 degree air temp. Okay. Wow. It's Toy Town. I watched the old one vehicle uh, see me in road and purposely got his vehicle to skid sideways to stop. If not for him, all the vehicles would have squished me. Wow. Yep. I live purpose, uh, purposely to be the outlier from the bystander effect. This is Toy Town. I'm in a 1% motorcycle club, and to me, that's what the 1% means. But be the one to act when others won't. I'm glad you put that out there, Toy Town. I, the older I get and the more that I teach, you know, my administrative leadership mm -hmm. classes and the nuts and bolts of that stuff and the legal issues, uh, I do um, express my positions. I didn't do that initially, you know, be like, well, here's, here's how I would handle it. Right. Here's what I would do. Um, I would, and I still set up a framework I'm trying to the camera here. Um, but I, I believe I would jump, not jump. I believe I would uh, participate to hopefully make things better. Um, if that makes any sense whatsoever. So, um, I'm glad you said that because there's a point I'm going to come back to with that. So, Vanessa's saying we should be teaching first um, in first aid upwards from elementary school through college, right? Make it a part of You're right. I completely agree. And so, the question is where how do we address this from a policy standpoint? Where does this get into a $1.7 trillion omnibus bill? Oh yeah. That there'll be 1 million per state to, you know, increase first aid trainers or something, which is ridiculous. Right. But you know, for the first, but it should be, it's so crazy, right? Like why, how was this overlooked? Um, I don't know. It just baffles me, right? That we don't have uh, regularly, you know, th these first aid courses, or that every university or technical college um, has, if they're taking federal dollars, they have to offer 
free first aid um, every semester up to a certain number of people, right? And then they'll get reimbursed by the government and any materials and whatever, but the university needs to provide the facilities. And like, how is that just not a thing for first aid? Because that's the whole community, right? That's um, first aid, CPR, and, and then you go through Good Samaritan, you'd go for, through the bystander effect and things, but but Vanessa, you've 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 got the right argument, right? You you've you are you've got the logic down. Um, I gave my Garmin Glow GPS receiver on me riding my trike, so yeah, GPS. You know where you're at, or people know where you're at, or something happens, and you're, they're like, "Where are you?" And you can boom, give them the exact coordinates kind of like a what three words type of thing. So, yeah, it's Corey Lee Slater. Hey, Corey. Um, Heath, I hear about cops being hospitalized from fentanyl. Yep. So I hear, I don't, I don't have anything authentic to share on that, any knowledge other than hearing it, but that would be, I'd be interested in that. And the other part is, is, is again, is, has fentanyl killed, the Good Samaritan, like that. If I can get an EMT, anybody knows an EMT, um, because I mean, there, I'd like to get the observations. For example, if an EMT is say we, you know, we go to a site, there's a lot of people there, or like someone has said, like I didn't go up and check their pulse or anything because I don't know, maybe they were doing drugs. I don't know. Like I just, I was afraid to, to do that because I don't have gloves or if they've fentanyl or I get too close. So um, let's see, just like allergic reactions, do you know the signs and symptoms to look for? So it's a really good point. So uh, no bacon. I appreciate your comments. So that's a good deal. Um Corey's saying, uh, the Spruiters uh, didn't get paid. Everyone, yeah, has a camera on their phone. Right. So that goes to our second point of uh, the forensic data. Like people think they're going to be judged, right? But I don't think it's it's a balance, right? Because I, I think there are people who are like, oh, God, I'm going to be judged. So I'm not going to get involved. Um, but there are other people who are like, this would be a great way to, this is a big event and I need to like get it on camera or they're just addicted to social media, right? They're just addicted to people watching their content or whatever. So even though someone is just, they're injured right here, they're going to put it out there on a live stream uh, because they might get 200,000 views as crazy as it is. Right. But that's, it's, it's just so strange. Um, uh, it's the, you know, it's the pictures now they take of uh, concerts, you know, so somebody goes to see concert, you know, Elton John or something. And you take a picture from the stage and you're looking out at cameras because people are not living the event. They're recording it so then they can experience it. It's really weird. Right. So, yeah. Um, even calling for help is a good thing. Says it's Vanessa. So, someone choking. What do you do? Yep, ever see someone choking? Yes, 
yeah, had to administer the, the Heimlich a couple times successfully. So, um, but right, we don't have a first aid Good Samaritan type month where things like the Heimlich maneuver, right? The Heimlich maneuver could be a government sponsored 20 second TikTok video. I'm not saying government should do TikTok with the YouTube short, but I'm saying like, that's the concept, right? Is to make a series of these things or these commercials or these commercials that, you know, show up on your, um, as ads, but you could actually kind of professionally do this. I mean, we had the committee for national morale back in world war two, but, uh, it's, it's a good point. You know, people talk about that. When's the last time anybody taught that when, if you had to know that for work, even if you're in a restaurant, um, and wouldn't a restaurant ex- want you, right? If you work there and someone is choking, if they're to intervene, it's a good point. Um, Corey is saying, my girlfriend's mom was choking and panicked. Her dad knew what to do. Um, the first aid courses through the years are w- worthy of everyone's attention. So, yeah, absolutely. Um, Corey is saying, most people would rather not get their hands dirty. So, yeah, as we, as we, you know, we're going in before, um, there are dun, 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 dun. it's our friend Corey Slater. All right, come on, come on. Gotta click, 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 clickety click. All right. So Corey, these are two things that'll be in the blog post. So we went through these, I think, before you got in here. Let's put them. Oh, geez. I want to do that. Um, so I just had two slides. One was defining the bystander effect, but this was the three types of bystander effect. And this dates back 50 years. So the fusion of responsibility, right? Oh, there's a hundred people. Yeah. And I'm, I'm in a crowd of a hundred. Well, if something bad happens to a person, I'm one, one hundredth responsible, right? That's the thought of it. Or it might even be less because I'm older and these are younger people. They're more capable of going and doing this stuff or whatever. So really it's like one, two hundredth or whatever. Number two is the fear of being judged, right? In, in the moment. Oh, like, look, look, you know, you, you're, you're doing this wrong or, you know, what, what are you trying to do? And, um, and not only that, it's the forensic ability, right? People whip out their camera. So suddenly there's 50 videos of you, you know, trying to, um, you know, pull somebody from uh, a river or something like that, or administer after, yeah, uh, somebody's had a, a bike accident or something like that administer some first aid so this this whole aspect of all these cameras are on me like right everyone's going to look at this did i do it right did i do it right what is right what's wrong i don't i don't really know all of this i'm not a doctor right um or i guess you know even if you are a doctor right you could have someone scrutinize it and say well but you didn't use whatever well i only had three sticks and you know this available to me at the time so, and then this other thing is pluralistic ignorance. And that's where, where you think um, 
like you can get in, you could get involved you could do this but other people probably are like well i'm not going to go over there because right uh there could be fentanyl or there's a lot of people have already weighed the risk assessment of could this legally get dicey or like i don't want people you know this looks like it was a gang related thing to gangs so now if i'm rendering aid like and i get identified could that end up bringing harm to me or my family so these are I mean, you got it, Corey. But so there's like these three kind of areas this filters into. So, um, learning, training, practicing all uh, gel. Or, um, okay, got it. All help. Um, break through the bystander effect. Good. Lawyers kill the good Samaritan. Yeah, you know, I, I've been I've been kind of addicted to the short clips of uh of Saul Goodman, Better Call Saul, from what Breaking Bad, and I think I I think the character is hilarious, but the the concept though is, I mean, there's always been lawyers, but the the lawyers kind of yes, but also I think the states, the states all have their own Good Samaritan laws. I haven't. I haven't heard of one state. I did a lot of research on this. One state saying, here's a campaign we have to make people aware of our Good Samaritan law. I've, I have never found that. And, and so why isn't that a thing? Like, you know, the states come out because it's on the books in every single state. So why don't they do that? Why don't they give some examples? But, um, but you're right. The, right now, it's so litigious and the fact that a fact finder or judge or a district attorney, right, will just go with a video and, and there could be a video taken, you know, from 80 feet away, like over somebody's shoulder and, you know, the person moving around a little bit and, and, uh, and I don't think it's so much a case here, but what if someone's saying, Oh, like, you know, you, um, in trying to help them, like that was really kind of a careless thing from this angle of what you did. They can't see that, you know, you slipped on some, you know, loose dirt or something a little bit, but it didn't, but from the angle, it looked like, you know, you're racing in and out of control. And um, so, you know, just those types of things, right. You can look, you can look at anything. If you find the one angle, the one photo that, doesn't provide a context. And I think that's been, people are terrified because somebody shows one video um, and they're like, look at this. And you're like, okay, you shot this through a screen door with the screen on it from across the road while it was raining. And okay, I, I guess this is what it looks like. It looks like this person pushed this, this dumpster cart at the end of their, their driveway and hit someone else. But, you know, but upon... So then it makes the news, this angry person's out there. And upon further thing, you know, it's just the water was coming down and it just swept this thing off. And the person was running out there to try to grab it before it took off because they saw one up the road. So all these things, right? Um, the kids in elementary school here died on contact with drugs brought into school from a student. That's from Vanessa. And so that that is what has me thinking a little bit. And I don't read about it. Like, I don't see it in articles, but... Are people really stepping off of the whole get involved and Good Samaritan and all that because of the 
increase in opioids, right? Um, and so I don't, I don't know. Um, I would think that is probably happening to some extent. So this video just <laughs> blinked out over here for a minute. I don't know what's going on with that, but uh, we're okay here. So um, years ago, while walking to Longhorn Steakhouse, this is Andrew, with my family, there was a lady who asked me if I could release the parking brake on her car. I paused and responded, you want me to get into your car? Her smile faded into a sad face. I said, I don't want to be accused of something I didn't do. This was uh, after the Kavanaugh su Supreme Court case. Um, Me Too has done more for people not helping than the bystander effect has. It's from Andrew. So, Andrew, interesting. I, um, I don't know if you guys uh, remember DT. Uh, DT was... Uh, the Black Brigade and, and DT lives in South Dakota was uh, an Aaron Clary show quite a bit. Um, had he lived in Minnesota, he's an engineer. Now he's in in South Dakota, but he did a show on this uh, maybe two three years ago, and it was it was kind of similar to when the Kavanaugh hearing was happening. I think it was it was in that time frame, and he said uh, there are times when. Like the the engineering company would say, we're sending two engineers right to drive three mile or three hours to the site to do some assessment on something or whatever. And he said, you know, DT was was saying again in, in the show of, what if you know now you're with somebody else? I mean, it's, it's he was saying, you know, if it was a female. Um, do you do you say I'd, I'll drive separately? I won't charge mileage because right you're in this scenario, or just could be two people. Like it's almost like you'd have to have a camera on inside of the car. I mean, because it could be yeah, some some claim right of uh, you know whatever or hostile or or you know hostile action or whatever it was. Um, and I think it's just because it's so much in the news that people feel they really have to measure their exposure to situations that that could go that way, even if they're really, really minute. But I mean, it, it's um, it's really strange, right? I mean, like we we look back to um, you know a wonderful life and you know the uh, dancing and all of that. Like, well, you know, just to it seems like that would be very prohibitive today because of accusations that could be made. But, um, but I, so going back, Andrew's saying that, um, you know, the, the Kavanaugh Supreme court hearing had what was, was happened um, around the time when he had told this lady, Hey, I'm not going to, you, or you said, I'm not going to, <laughs> let me do this. Andrew, uh, you want me to get into your car to release the parking brake? And then she had the the sad face. But um, but this you you're making the point here, Andrew. You're making the point that people have more to measure whether they're going to intervene or not, right? Or if if someone's like, hey, you know, I need you to yeah come into the house because 
right? Somebody just passed out or or there's something else they're choking or whatever, right? Like if someone opens up their door and yells, there's somebody choking here. Do you go into the house? So these are discussions we need to have as a society. We need to have these things and we need to come out with so people can logically have some framework to deal through this. So, so I'm glad we're there. Glad we're there. Um, let me go to, it's called the Pillivan um, subway study. And this was in 1969. This seems to be referenced a lot with bystander. Although I didn't think, <laughs> I didn't think it gave a lot of super great information, but there is, there are a few things out of here. So, in 1969, researchers designed a study to investigate how a group of people would react if they saw a person who collapsed on a train. Um, and here were some notable findings from the effects. Again, this is 1969. The public usually helped quickly and on their own. Nobody had to direct them. So there, were, there was an interesting part here. They're saying because it was on a train like it was it'd be harder to get you can't really just separate yourself from that you're part of that train community the train is moving and stuff um and it all so their observations were people usually helped again in that setting and they help quickly so that's a point quickly um the second thing the, the second observation the bigger observation the longer no help was offered the more likely it was that observers would leave the instant. So there's this, this golden window of if you're going to act or the group is going to act and do something, it has to be fast, right? Like if, if uh, you know, you make your assessment, right? And then in 30 seconds, you're in action or 15 seconds, or maybe even if it's a minute, like, hey, you go grab this, this, this is, you know, what, are, okay, I'm going to do, uh, you're going to call, you know, the, and anyway, um, so I was looking more into that. And again, the, the quicker you act, the quicker you survey and make a decision, you can get the, a lot of people who go with you, right? Um, because they're, they're sitting there in their own mind, right? And we talked about that pluralistic thinking and they're thinking, I think I should be doing this, but other people probably have already thought about that and maybe I'm missing something. But if you see somebody jumping into action or like, you know, one and two people, three people, and you're like, boom, now you start to become part of this, this group, right? You're like, oh, like they're already validating what I'm thinking. I'm thinking pretty much the same thing of what they're trying to do right here. So, and then you're all, so I think, but it's, it's, it's timing. Um, you get beyond that minute mark and it's just, it's, and pretty soon people are like, I shouldn't even be here, right? If I'm not doing anything, um, and maybe there's some liability then if, if uh, you know, I stick around or I don't want to be interviewed or whatever it is, and they take off. So that was the other thing. And that comes back to safety in general and school safety, right, is you have to, you have to understand the baseline and you have to be able to pick up the change of baseline and then make you have to act you have to make your decision and maybe your your decision is like i can't get involved because it's too dangerous but here's another way i can bring aid to this whether it's calling 
911, um, directing people, oh, the AED is over there, or someone is like, you know, uh, underwater, right, at, at a beach or something, but you're like, oh, like right over there on the other side of the building is a, is a buoy. So, you know, someone can race over there and grab it. But, um, so yeah. So again, the, the subway study, uh, from 69 was that you don't have to tell people what to do. Again, there's a high tacit knowledge for most things that happen, right? Somebody has a cut or, you know, these types of things like people understand, um, or if they had one first aid course, they have enough residual memory from that. But I mean, it's just part of being a person, right? Or being, if you ever had an older, younger sibling or, you know, you're a parent and you had kids, like you just kind of know these, these things, there's, there's experience there. So, um, but the second part was if you act quickly, you can get others to act to others that probably should be acting that have the capability and, and know what they're doing. They, the likelihood is greater. They'll get involved. Um, but if time, if time, you get to that kind of golden minute and people are there and they're not jumping in there, it's unlikely. And then, you know, per this study and some of the others I've looked at too, I don't think it's so much today. I would argue that today people wouldn't leave. They would just maybe go to a further back position and hit a zoom on their camera. Like, um, I don't, I don't think they would necessarily leave, but that's, there were other studies, you know, probably done before the cell phone age, you know, which said at some point people just, again, this is, again, it's a situation where there's an emergency and there needs to be help rendered. Um, so, all right. Um, how, let's go over to the chat and then we're going to go to how to overcome the bystander effect. So, all right. Let's see here. Um, Vanessa saying, we had firemen come to school to talk fires, et cetera, actually show the fire extinguishers and what and how to use and when not to use. So yes, which would be great. Like uh, it should be a standard practice and, and just even in buildings, right? And, and or someone who wants to use a fire extinguisher as like a part of this first aid class, maybe there's, there's a, side part where you can use a fire extinguisher you know people have them in their houses they've never used them you know you don't aim at the top of a fire because then mush could mushroom it out the bottom always aim at the base but have you actually practiced that and now they've got where it's just kind of like led like stuff so it just identifies um as it's you don't even have to light a fire but uh if you're practicing this stuff um so yeah, DT is on Rumble. Name is Black Brigade. All right. So yeah, DT and the Black Brigade. So it was very intellectual. Uh, appreciate DT. So Bacon saying, if optics on helping others is a problem, having a body cam on might help with that. As Joe Dolio says, it's a good point. It's really good. So, right, because you're you're not going to hold a camera in one hand as you're trying to put a splint on, you know, somebody's arm or do a tourniquet one-handed, right? 
uh, here, let me set my phone up on a tripod. So, but I'm saying big of what you're saying here is, is, you know, Joel Dolio would exactly say that, right? If you have a pen camera or something that's attached to your body, um, and, you know, it's kind of sad that we have to have that for our own forensic protection. Um, you know, you could argue it's to help give responders a better idea of it, the time that had passed and what was initially there that this person might have been exposed to, like, um, to, so they can kind of put together the, the pieces of care appropriately and the provenance of care. Um, but that's a really good point. And I, that'd be something I, I would I would want addressed in like that first aid good samaritan month right it's really i like that so um yeah so this is our good friend bacon so it's bacon dun, 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 dun. it's bacon so all right um all right i was referring to regular civvies what do you mean but first responders like cops usually have to well respond to things like this we don't so um yeah by the way i have uh i've punched my ticket to the uh school for the blind in wisconsin the super bowl the fantasy football super bowl i have been in that league, I think, for five or six years. So used to work there, and then they kept me in the league. Thankfully, when I faculty when I left, because great group of people. I I won last year, and this year I'm twelve and four, and I'm in a Super Bowl again. And if I win, back to back champions so championships. So I think I've won eight out of my last nine games, and I have like a two hundred point lead in the point standing. But it doesn't really mean anything now because I've got to win the next game. And but uh, yeah, I don't know. It's kind of fun. It's kind of fun. Um, if one takes command, more likely to fall in line. You're absolutely right with that, Corey. Um, and that was oh god, where was I? That was Dr. Paul Rapp, head of military medicine, when I wrote School of Airs, and. He's, he almost said exactly what you're saying, you know, that when that happens, right, other people are going to fall in line. Because if you look at that group, they largely know what to do. Even if, like, they can't be the person to help, they can be the person who's helping the person who's helping, right? Like, you grab this hose and, like, bring it over here. You, we're going to put this ladder out. So, like, hold on to it down here. Like, that's your job. And then... Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a really good point. Um, safety doc, one time at the library staff was trained by the local fire department on how to use a fire extinguisher. Cool. Yeah. And I bet it was, they appreciated it. Right. And probably a lot of them were like, okay, we have things that here, there's fire extinguishers, but we've never used one. Um, and then I, I think there's a question too. I had it with my school administrators with AED you know, a couple staff would be like, yeah, I'm a little hesitant to use it because I understand, you know, the AED is like a thousand bucks and it's more than that. I think it's like 1800 and the battery and once it's used, you have to do the chest pads, all stuff. It's a few hundred dollars. Like, um, so 
right? I mean, people, you have to be very explicit because someone's like, do I have to pay for that? Or is there, what if they're like, it didn't need to happen, but I thought it, it did. So at least that's something like with Narcan, the generic naloxone is like $5 a, um, a dose, but using a fire extinguisher, right? Someone's saying, well, do we have now who has to refill it? How much does that cost? And I mean, people think through these, these things, um, and sometimes kind of go down this weird logic path. Uh, but yeah, right. <laughs> so just fire, you always aim at the base, if you aim at the top, push, push it out. So keeping yourself the uh, exit, um, clearly, you know, to your, to your back, right? So fires in front of you, you can, you can retreat. You're not putting yourself in the fire between you and an exit. Um, those are just kind of common sense things, but to actually uh, have some demonstration of holding a fire extinguisher and uh, how to pull the pin and to activate it and use it right until it's all gone versus like, Oh, just a little bit. So all valuable things. For some reason, I have never noticed the light changing behind your sign. Yeah, that so that is um, that's a gift. That sign um, is from CNT Designs Coop. That's metal, three D. So that sign comes out about three inches in different depths from the wall, and then he has the LED lights. And there's a cord actually comes down, but it's camouflaged in the seam. And there's a remote control that I have. I can change the patterns and stuff like that. So, and that arrived maybe about six, seven weeks ago. Really cool. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that's it's neat. When you're down here, you're like then the the side depth of it coming from the wall is like a another cool effect. So, practice with your home extingu extinguishers as well, right? So, yeah, have we ever? I don't want to say have we ever, I haven't seen it. I haven't seen like we have our fire prevention month. You have fire department opens up every October, you know, families come down, check out the equipment. It's really good, but you can get batteries for free for your smoke alarms, a whole bunch of nine volts that they make them here in town. But, um, but you know, on the other side, like, um, do they, will they refill a fire extinguisher? Can a fire extinguisher, certain ones be refilled or do you have to throw them out? Like, that seems like that would be something that should be there during fire prevention. Yeah, bring in a fire extinguisher to get it refilled. But, um, or or even like if you're afraid, oh, like people are going to bring in all these fire extinguishers that they've used, and then, but at least I think have an area of, of demonstrating what that's like. And if you use a fire extinguisher, like a commercial one, how these get refilled, or if they're disposed. Like I don't think people know that, so. I would make a display that I would have out there for, for that. Um, I don't know. It's crazy. It's our good friend, Mike McLoon. Hey, Mike. It's Mike McLoon. Do you have the correct fire extinguishers at home? Right? So all these things wrap into that month. I don't know. It, it would seem like if you want to make sense out of this, you kind of put it all in October where fire prevention is. Um, and you just, you just kind of change that to fire prevention, first aid, good Samaritan. You have to have some slogan to put that all together, but um, it seems like that would make sense. And that logically kind of makes sense. Cause if you're in a colder region, you're into 
more risky, dangerous weather and driving. And um, we, there's more fires during colder months because of heating units like to have this again in October. But right. Good point. Negative on the fire extinguisher. Though there is one outside my door beside the oven. I got one just around the corner and I got one upstairs, one out in the garage. Pretty big fire extinguishers too. Um, so it's Toy Town. I saved my expired mini disposable truck fire extinguishers and have the kids practice once you're in a bonfire outside. Cool. That's a really good idea, right? Um, Heath, I use fire extinguishers more in fight prevention and self-defense than to fight fires. What? And, but I mean, that's a fascinating part, right? That a fire extinguisher, you know, might have that could be pressed into self-defense for somebody. I don't know. But I mean, that is the beanbag toss scheme we had has LED lights so we can use them when the sun goes down. It's Vanessa. Large commercial extinguishers, can you lift them? Some are hefty. That's that's a good point, right? Um, yeah. So people getting you absolutely right. Have people try to lift these. I I trained people um on using fire extinguishers. And you know, so if they were heavy, it was always, you know, put it against your hip or put it on the ground, right? And then um, but it would be and again, in, in that situation, what if someone says, I have a back condition or I don't have the strength to hold this or to, to carry this? Or what if they drop it? Could it could they be hurt? So, Vanessa, that is a great point. Actually, that you brought this up, I love this because I can see already an activity for a school. You, you, you have the fire extinguisher and you have people... Uh, your staff, and you say, okay, I want you to write down how much, how many pounds you think this weighs, right? And then um, they they submit it, and then you you know you plot it, plot it out, and everything, and you're like, okay, it actually weighs what fifteen or twenty pounds, and you you let them feel it, right? But people, then you have something that's a little heavier, something that's a little lighter, but yeah, you, know, you might have people. I don't know how that would go. I think it would be awesome, though, to try it. You know, some people are like, oh, like that uh, fire extinguisher, 40 pounds. And so maybe the average is 30 and it's really 20. Or maybe the average is 15 and it's really 30. I don't know. And then you pass it around like everyone gets to actually feel that and feel the weight. I think it's a great idea, Vanessa. I mean, I'm thinking of schools, right? Schools have larger fire extinguishers um, in in and I, wow, I, I think that would be fascinating to have people take a guess on that and then give them some other things. I don't, that's a great activity. I'm going to use that, Vanessa. So it's really good. Both sides of my kitchen has a fire extinguisher. So, wow. This is our good friend, Yuke. Howdy, y'all. I've been here for a while, but I've been on the phone with my cousin. So the volume has been down. How's everyone doing? How's everyone's Christmas? It's good. Doing good. So, uh, 
you know, we it's warmed up here, so that's good. Um, I said warm, it's like 20, but it'll be 40 in a couple of days. Which, you know, it was when it was below, you know, 15 below zero, and then the the have the steady winds, 34 miles an hour. It was pretty crazy. Um, but my front door held up really well. I re-insulated that um, this year. And I used some uh, backing when I was doing uh, some caulk between the uh, concrete slab in the back on the porch, the old one, and the house. I did put some foam backing. But then I was using that same foam backing around, sealed up the door, and uh, yeah, it turned out great. Like I put my hand, <laughs> winds would be like 40 miles an hour. I put my hand on the door and barely feel anything coming through. So I'm like, good deal. No frost, no nothing. So that was, was good stuff. Um, so it's Uke. It's Uke. So Vanessa's saying the C5 hanger at Westover has emergency breathing apparatus at each hanger beam to get one on your face before the foam is too deep to see or push through. Wow. So... That's fascinating. It is. Um, all right. So let's go back to uh, the, the next part of this. And that was how to overcome the bystander effect. So uh, here's what I here's what I found and after going through different studies and just kind of writing down here's the themes. So many people experience, first of all, um, when people are present and they felt that they were capable of helping and that they should have helped in some capacity, but they did nothing. Um, a lot of those folks feel regret and they feel regret like for the rest of their life. Like this will be something if I could go back and change. Um, so it's a deep guilt, disapproval, the damaged self-esteem, negative emotional responses. So, um, so that was pretty redundant, and that was even coming more, you know, currently in people in like stadium accidents where people rush the field and people are getting crushed, and someone, you know, is like, if I, you know, if I would have stabbed, stood there and jumped up and down and told people, you know, uh, I could have done that, I didn't, or I saw somebody after they've been, you know, trampled, and I didn't go down and do anything; I just stayed up, um, and. So this seems to be pretty consistent throughout the research and the interviews of, of people. If they felt that they could have intervened in an emergency, that they could have lent help. And now we're not talking like kind of like two people fighting or something like that, we're saying, but, uh, but they feel uh, this, this damaged kind of self-esteem. Well, you know, I think part of that though is maybe everyone thinks like they would be the hero in retrospect, right? Like you jump in and, you could have been the person to make the, the difference and save everything. And um, so I think that's the expectation you'd have if you went into it, right? That it's going to have this, this very positive outcome. Um, so anyway, that's the first is people do regret this and it lingers. And I don't know, I didn't find anything if that makes them more prone to help in the future or if, it, if they just run because they don't want to be near that situation. To overcome the bystander effect, people must practice situational awareness, which we talk about a lot, knowing on what's happening around you. And by doing so, 
they get a feel for when things aren't going right. So that's the other part. If you have good situational awareness, you'll be like, whoa, like uh, over here, like it's, this person doesn't look good, uh, the, you know, whatever the person's, you know, like uh, sugar, like insulin, or okay, whoa, like you might have diabetic shock or something, whatever's going on. Um, situational awareness, right? Your own, uh, you know, as, as Vanessa writes, you know, mass foodborne illness outbreaks. Yes, someone, whoa, I'm not feeling well, or observing some other people not feeling well, you know, um, it looks more than they're just like tired. And so understanding situational awareness when things have changed. Um, so there, people have a tacit ability of identifying when something is in fact an emergency. So most of us know an emergency, right? Most of us know we can observe when that's happening or if we're participating in that, like an emergency situation. So it's not like we have a hard time sensing that, but we can kind of hit our brain on override too. So again, the faster you can recognize it, you're probably going to respond and you're probably going to respond before there's a group of people and you're more likely to render aid if it's you versus like a lot of people being there. But um, so another part is people have to feel responsible to take action. And, you know, even though the, the media sells us out on society being bad and there's a lot of <laughs> not good things happening, right? Um, so you have to have this of saying, I, I want to try to fix this. I want to contribute to making this better. Um, possibly even save this person's life or people's lives. So it's a it's a tough call. You have to put yourself possibly in harm's way. You might be able to dodge down live wires to carry someone from a wrecked car, right? You might be able to, to, to do that, but maybe you don't. That was uh, Cajun Navy Relief. I remember Katie Pashan talking about, uh, yeah, I mean, if when people go out in the boats and they're rescued and people there are times when people get electrocuted and, and it's rare, but it happens. So, you know, you look at this and you're like, you know, who's, you know, who's, who's response, you feel responsible, but then, um, you know, anyway, uh, you, and the other thing is you can also, always choose a form of assistance. So maybe you're the person who's gonna stand up by the road. So when emergency responders come, you can point them to their direction. Maybe you're the person who's going to talk to somebody to kind of try to keep them calm or whatever, but um, you're the person that's gonna right, try to get a some type of, go to different cars, see if anybody has a blanket or something like that to help this person. But, um, and okay. So, boom, we get in this situation of if you act quickly, the group tends to fall in line or the key members of the group. Um, but once you get beyond a minute, now that's not a definite in this. Like I didn't find studies exactly saying a minute. I've, I kind of anecdotally saw some of that and just through my safety stuff know that, you know, like, for example, if there's a, a smoke alarm thing, like if you see smoke and you wait like a minute to try to activate it on your own, you're probably trying to find an administrator, someone to tell you you're, it's okay because you would have known to do that already. Um, 
So yeah, bystander effect. Let's go over here to the to the chat. Doc came into room and first thing he does is ask what I think is wrong. Wow, that's good, right? Um, I already told staff anaphylactic uh, shock was in progress. So he lied fire extinguishing ball. Wow. How much for a fault, uh, small fire? I don't know. Doesn't this seem like something too? Like if you buy um, one fire extinguisher a year, or one once every three years, you can write off a hundred percent of a fire extinguisher up to twenty five dollars. Like, doesn't that seem like a reasonable tax thing, right? Um, I, I I'm just kind of. I'm going on. All right, let's let's do. Uh, I'm bringing up Home Depot. So we're checking out the. I, this is a good question. I don't know about the stuff. So Kitty, with some different fire extinguishers, a dry chemical, one-time use, a two-pack, forty bucks. So, not bad. I don't know how big these are. How big are they? Um. Those aren't very big, but how, how, like, like have a, a ruler next to this. Like, what is that? Is, um, anyway. Okay. This one looks a little bit bigger. Dry chemical. So, what's the six year warranty disposable? Disposable, okay. I think most of these type, like, yeah, you're not going to have any attempt to try to to refill these. Um, so, okay. 2.35 pounds, not very heavy. One-time use. How long would that last? Like, what could you reasonably tackle with, with that? So, okay, that's 20 bucks. I don't know. Let's go back. Let's see if get a little. But, I mean... Doesn't it, again, seem some of these things, a first aid kit or you should have some uh, that every every person has some credit every three years of $50. It can either be first aid, a fire extinguisher, or, you know, maybe just whatever to get like, into, those, into those categories. And then, you know, um, it just seems like that makes sense. No, right? Um, okay. Apparently, here's a rechargeable. So, so then the question is, who recharges this? Wood, paper, and fabrics. So, flammable liquids, electrical equipment. So this one kind of looks like it's the whole gamut. Um. Okay. So here, this one I'm guessing is a little bit heavier. I don't know what, what does it say. Five pound, yeah. That's a you know that's a pretty good, pretty good fire extinguisher. Thirteen to fifteen second charge time, ten to fifteen feet. 
So, and that's 60 bucks. Yeah. Um, that's actually not a bad gift right there. So, um, Hey, you can pick it up today. So, but anyway, it's a good question. Cause I didn't know the answer. I, I didn't know if inflation had changed. I mean, that really crazy. Um, but yeah, <laughs> what about it? Shouldn't we have a, shouldn't we have a above the line tax thing for that? Just nuts, right? Um, all right. Keep this thing up. The white ones in my car, the dry cam. Yeah. I don't have one in my car and I should. The other thing is like, you know, I, I don't know what the temperature of Wisconsin d- does to a fire extinguisher. So if it's minus 25 outside, I'm assuming the it would decrease the, the pressure, right? Because things would be less dense. Uh, you have more density, more it would, it would clump together. I don't know. I, I, I don't know how that, that works um, with a fire extinguisher. So again, something like that should be more commonly talked about. <laughs> so, yeah, but it's, it's a good point. I got it. Does, let me see here. Um, does a fire extinguisher work? That's uh, kept in a cold. All right. So, Um, yeah. So actually what I'm coming up with is saying fire extinguishers. I got two sites on this can usually go as far as 40 below and still function. And then it's usually the hose or some, the valve that might fail and not like the, the pressure doesn't, the, the cold doesn't significantly knock down the pressure apparently. Um, Okay, it does say do not store a fire extinguisher in direct sunlight. <laughs> so um, it's saying if you have a car, it's best to put it in the trunk. But where should you not store a fire extinguisher? Next to a heat source. Once they get above 120, I'm sure there's like a pressure relief where they would just, but, uh, but I didn't. I didn't it, this is really good. I didn't know on the common fire extinguishers that, um, like, right, if it's 40 below, um, and it's been there, it's acclimated, like the thing has been in 40 below temperature, it would still discharge uh, appropriately. Um, I never really had thought about that prim- that parameter of things. I don't even think doing the firefighter uh, courses that we specifically covered that because I mean we weren't talking about residential stuff. It's a good point. Um, also look and check out these extinguishers each year. Make sure they don't look like they failed lost pressure, right? And they'll most of them have a needle. Ours do needle still says charged and they still look like they're okay. But yeah. Um 
some safety supplies and equipment stores can recharge the rechargeable types. Yep. So it'd be like, where, you know, so that's, that would be kind of a good, good question on that. 2.5 pound are good for vehicles. Five are good for around the house. ABC will cover most purple K covers metal fires. Yeah. So thanks Mike. And like, I even wonder like electrical fire. Well, I mean, 2.5 isn't going to do much, um, but probably more for your own vehicle than if someone you know is is in a vehicle but it but it's one of those things right like you're sure as heck going to be much uh happier and, and probably safer that you have it than if you don't have it by the way my navy pea coat which i was wearing when i was in the interstate accident four years ago um the shoulders separating out it my wife's going to sew it back so just i don't know kind of just a weird thing right at the seams so it's not there's a tear, just the seam is separating. So old, it's really still great, but has to get a little, little attention. This is to me from Sunflowers. I once made the house all smoky because I burnt rice on the stove. There needs to be a safety plan for the house, but no one cares. A fire extinguisher might have helped. So, so Sunflowers, right? Whole month about just a safety and fire extinguisher and you know, and what if you, yeah, what if, could you run to a neighbor's with a fire extinguisher to try to put something out? I don't know when that would necessarily make sense, but I don't know. Um, all right. I call the fire department after they finish. I call local junkyard to haul it away. It's Vanessa. This is sunflowers to me. Have you ever used an automatic portable fire extinguisher ball i have not no um i saw someone post that before so the glass grenades so no i i've never never done that um i think you guys are posting this Elder Fire. So, Elder Fire is based on a revolutionary technology that provides far better advanced solution than portable fire extinguishers. Um, so, yeah, I guess let's watch out. <laughs> As I mean, let's watch a little bit about it here if we're not going to have audio, but um, okay. Guess we can see what this dude's gonna do here. So he throws it and so yeah, whoa, then I, I guess yeah, it explodes and there's some kind of way that's taking the action away. This guy's like, listen, just get it. It's a good thing. It looks like Derek Jeter. So uh look at these guys. They're like, holy smokes. Uh, okay. Ah, I, hadn't, I hadn't heard about those. So, <laughs> tactical tannerite. Wow. Wow. Um, this is Vanessa. Fire in town one winter had the water. Uh, they were spraying freezing all over. So, wow. Safety for the fire folks and the water makes 
Everything all icy during a call. Yeah. Andrew, those are niche items. Won't work in small fires like stovetop fires. So it's John Rice. Look at John Rice. There he is, John Rice. So this is Joe Morris. About 10 years ago, my brother was successfully house-sitting for my folks at a kitchen grease fire. He went to the sink with a pan and caught the curtains and cabinets ablaze. Wow. So, okay. Um, so, yeah, people don't think about that. Cover up, right? The smother the action source. You know, get a get a lid. Cover it up. Um, so, it is our friend Mike McClune. Class D is for metals. K is for flammable liquids. You will see class K in kitchen for fire suppression in kitchens. So... Thanks um, for that, Mike. Good deal. Thirty dollars each, or one hundred and twenty for six. So yeah, those things. I mean, they're not cost prohibitive, right? So um, I go back to what I said a couple of minutes ago. We should all get an above-the-line deduction for fifty dollars every three years or whatever for either fire extinguisher or, you know, splint or, you know, whatever, whatever first aid kit or whatever you're doing. So, um, man, it's crazy. So by the way, um, I want to thank everybody, the, your generosity and you're watching the, uh, the ads, right. Um, and, and the shows, sharing the shows uh, uh the show did reach its uh, monetization threshold per youtube so i will get a, a payout in december at the end of next or next week and then uh so for 2022 the the show um hit the threshold for a payment which is just cool because then i get my tax person hey but it's but um yeah, I think it's having a monetized channel, right? Shows you've got a thousand subscribers, your 4,000 watch hours. You guys have been awesome. So, but it's been cool. It's, it's, it's really cool. So, um, not asking for anything, but I do appreciate, you know, you go through the, the ads and I, you know, some of the ads I think are, are pretty cool. At least I've seen a few come up. Like I'll go in and, and, and be going through older stuff. I'll be like, oh, here's one for grip six socks. And I'm like, so wool, I kind of like wool socks, and I'm like, oh, it's kind of a neat ad. Um, so, yeah, well, this is Kurt. I appreciate it. So happy about that. Uh, very good. Very good. Yep, smother grease fires if you can. And, you know, again, like, I'm going back to the open house of the fire station, and they'll have the kids, well, they can have adults, too, like, do the uh, – hose to knock down a pretend fire um but they don't really i haven't seen them do the fire extinguishers i haven't seen kind of presentations on like different types of fire like you could have like a kitchen there and like have you know someone take their lid and put it over a pretend fire i don't know there's uh, a lot of stuff we're talking about now 
we just don't tell people about this. Um, and they, so if in the moment if they don't have the knowledge, they might do something. It's not going to make them safer, but, um, so that one for green dog treats with the snowman. This is our good friend, Corey Slater in the house. Ladies and gentlemen, Corey Slater. So it is Corey Slater. Everybody knows. Dun 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 Corey Slater dun 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 Alright. Let's see who I'm gonna be playing in the Super Bowl. I I uh here we go. Super Bowl. Super Bowl. Um, I won 159 to 118. So it's a really high scoring game for me. But let's check. The Meeseeks at 12 and 4 will play the 40 Broncos, who finished third in the league and uh, who scored 120. So I would have beat anybody this week, even in the consolation bracket. Um, I had the highest score in the league. So. The 12 and 4 Meeseeks are taking on the 11 and 5 40 Broncos. Believe it or not. Meeseeks. So, new recipe for biscuits. Well received. Flaky layers. Ah, oh, sounds delicious. Sounds delicious. All right, Heath. Heath, appreciate you being here. So, take care, buddy. I'm going to, to give you a little graphics here. Da, da, da. We're going to give you a thumbs up. And we got 19. Th- we only need one more thumbs up to get 20 here on the show. So, um, yes. Uh, what? I had a show I was thinking about. For, oh, next time. Um, so, I I was working on this today in my, my lecture for, for the university for the class and uh, and some schools, this isn't as uncommon as you think it would be. They uh, give away large prizes for students that have good attendance. So maybe because truancy is becoming an increasing issue. Um, so, you know, if you are gone up to, you know, three days a semester or something, you get entered. If you have like perfect attendance, one or two, zero or one days, you get like a, two entries or something. And if you have like uh, two, you get uh, whatever, you know. But anyway, kids can win a car. So um, what do you think about, uh, I mean, high uh, school kids win car for attendance. So here's, there's a lot of these out there, a lot of the, a lot of these articles out there. So Canyon Ridge student wins free car for perfect attendance. So there she is. This one is 2017. There's a lot of these. So, um, but so what happens is the school 
will do uh, drawings. So it's the community, whether it's the dealership and the school's ponying up. Sometimes the school pays the whole thing for this. Might not be a, a brand new car, might be a used car, but uh, let's say they pony up $25,000 for whatever this is. And the school's logic is, listen, like we're, we're paying a truancy officer, you know, $100,000 a year and we're, our test scores are getting hit and that's we're losing out on open enrollment and whatever it is, all these things. They're just saying, Hey, if we can do a $25,000, it's money well spent. This is the logic, right? And, uh, and then usually attendance increases. So it does happen. Uh, and then you get a kid who is, driving away in a new car because they only missed one day of school. So I know the craziness with that, right? Of people saying, hey, you shouldn't have to like be paid to like, you know, go to school and do that. But I mean, this is, this stuff is very, if you Google this, you'll find pages and pages and pages. So it might not it'll always be a car, but it's usually a bigger ticket item. You know, big screen TV, Xbox, you know, these systems. And and the thought is, right, the the analytical side saying, listen, if we put $10,000 out there in prizes or, you know, even one saying you get $5,000 cash. So we, we put $10,000 out there and it decreases truancy by 50%. You know, we are decreasing in the our truancy officer, our, our time out of having to fight this stuff into truancy court and all this and hypothetically grades. You could look at that and say that sunk investment of 10,000 returned 50,000, we believe. So, but it's crazy to think that you have to, to put these things into play. Um, but yeah. I had a professor who'd give true-false exams. Uh, those who got the questions all correct or all false got an A. Wow. I had a professor, Vanessa, who, so if you had, if you had 75 true and false or A, B, C, D or whatever it was, you know, um, he always said, listen, if you're unsure, you can circle like, two something like that two or three if you circle it i won't i i will grade it but if it's wrong it won't count against you and if it's right it will it, you'll if it's right you'll get it if it's wrong it won't count against you i don't know exactly how that'll but anyway so or if you just said if you circle three um i'll just throw them out so there'd always be like 103 on the or if you didn't circle any, you'd get the full 103, but if it, you could knock three out and, but anyway, say there's going to be questions you're not going to have an answer for probably, right? Or you, something you just didn't study. And, and so if you come across that, you know, you know, the rest of it, just circle it. But what if you do know it and you got it right, then you circled something that you would have got credit for. But anyway, that was just cool. No one had ever done that before. And I was like, that's a really cool approach for that kind of assessment and also to decrease people's anxiety if they get to something that kind of stumps them be like well it's not going to sink the ship you know so um 
This is our good friend, man, against the mass stopping by to offer my fresh frozen tip of a thumbs up. This is, this is for man against the masses right here. He's the, it's the thumbs up guy, thumbs up or Facebook, not on Facebook, but look at this thumbs up. Wish I could find a job where I'm paid to do nothing. So friend, Corey Slater, damn, a new car for perfect attendance. Forget the obvious question. Did she have to pay the taxes on that? Uh, what's, that's why those folks who won cars from Oprah didn't get to keep that. Yeah, <laughs> no, make it good. Good, that's a good question, right? Because you would think she would have to pay the taxes, or the family would have to pay the taxes, unless there's some quirky thing. I, I don't, I don't know the answer to this. Um, where the school district would make a. A payment, almost like a gifting, that could be done to offset the taxes. I, I have no idea. You're right, but it, but this is a really good question. So you'd have to know that up front, right? Um, I'll, I'll I I'm going to do a show on this because I found it's phones, it was TVs, it was like trips to um, if you're close to like amusement centers. But I don't know. I think it's kind of old schoolish. But, uh, but yeah, so vehicles, um, e-bikes, I mean, all these things that are, are now that kids would actually be into, but a big thing was like gaming systems. Um, so imagine like any of us, like today we're in school and then yeah, you're, you're in a high school of like, you know, 200, 100, 200 kids in your class and there's going to be 10 prizes given away for attendance every semester. And one of them's a car. <laughs> Three of them are Xboxes, you know, the other one is, uh, is 10 pizzas from pizza certificate. I mean, all these, these things. And I'm, I'm not, it's not hyperbole. It's not exaggerated. This is authentic. So, you know, does it outweigh or is it, are, are you, are you incentivizing that this is the way life is? So are you going to expect this in the workplace? Are you going to expect, Oh, like I live in an apartment building with 15 other units. I'm, you know, so out of the 16, our landlord should have one month that they, he does a random drawing and whatever. Oh, it's, it's number 11 tenant number 11. You get a free month of, you don't have to pay rent this month. You know, what if they three times, it's number 11, they had three months, you know, it's almost like that type of expectation you'd extrapolate. Now people say, oh, Dave, that's crazy. I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. I don't know anyone who studies that, but, um, you know, like I said, I, you know, attended school because it seemed like that was the thing you were supposed to do. Plus I was an athlete. So, you know, to have a good attendance, make sure you could play. But I, but to, to use, to basically, you know, the thing is like with this car, right? The way that they do this, it's if you if you don't have good attendance, it's not like you get entered in it and then the people that had good attendance are not entered into it. So it's not that, but and there'll be some kids, this won't matter, right? They'll be like, well, whatever, you know, <laughs> and they'll still be gone 30 days a month. But yeah, I'll bring up some of that, but it, it is getting this this weird approach and what if what if the car doesn't work anymore? I, I mean, like not that it doesn't start or doesn't run. I mean, like what if what if the car's not motivating anymore? What is it then 
today. You know, <laughs> it's almost like a school, a, a school saying, we will give you, you know, one twentieth of a Bitcoin, you know, and or something like that or some. I'm just saying, like, if you actually sat down and asked kids and a kid's like, oh, I could earn, you know, 10 Ethereum coins. Yeah, I'd be, I'd be interested in my attendance and what that, I mean, I think this is amazing. I actually, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to put that one in the memory too and, and bring that up in the spring class because I think it's right on. Um, of of now we're kind of getting into these these incentive type programs and um, but you know but now um, yeah where 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 do we go with where do we go with that um, and if the kids were to inform it if the adults inform it it's going to be like oh like here you get a CD player boombox and kids are like you don't use CDs anymore it's yeah, if you get me a portable speaker that I can Wi-Fi, that might be something I'd be motivated in. But I mean, so I think it would be coming, you'd be asking students of saying, what would what would motivate you? What would you attend? And I'm not saying this should even have to happen, but I'm saying the adults would come up with stuff that might be expensive, but not have any value to the kids. Um, but the And the kids would come up with stuff and it would be like, yeah, I want the indoor/outdoor Bluetooth speaker. Um, and da 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 da. It's just this crazy stuff, though. But, but again, I think I I, I I read one of these, and I think it was it was this list of things, and it was stuff that obviously the adults had put together, and the kids probably wouldn't be that interested in. Um, so, you know, like a credit to the school store for like a hundred dollars and kids like, great. So I get like three more hats that have the school logo on it. You know, I can get the, you know, bag of Skittles for $2 or something like that. I get 50 bags of Skittles. I don't, but, um, Sunflowers is saying, I knew a woman that won a car raffle. She wanted the car, but the taxes kept her from getting it. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, this is uh, Sunflowers to Mike McLuhan. There's no reason to have game shows on TV anymore. What's the point? So, I don't know. I, I haven't watched game shows in a long time. Um, I worked with a lady who was on a game show maybe like seven, eight years ago. I think the price is right. So, I don't, <laughs> I don't know. Um I used to like the whammy one. I thought that was kind of interesting. I was never a big Price is Right person. I never thought that was really, wasn't my thing, but the wham, the whammy whammy. And I never, Hollywood Squares never got into any, any of that stuff. Family Feud, nah. Um, this is uh, Man Against the Masses. Have you been on a substation vandalism? So I've been hearing about, uh, you know, just through, well, media and then, you know, people would be more informed, like in the Joe Dolio type group. Yeah, Washington State, but, you know, it seems like there's others. We had something weird here where 
they were telling people to cut, it was like 20 degrees below zero and they were telling people to cut their thermostats down to like 60 to 62 because they didn't have enough natural gas. And I'm like, just, things are so, these systems, well, they're fragile. They've always been fragile, but the, right now, man, the entropy of these systems is just beyond belief and the vulnerability. But, uh, yeah. So anyway, I'm, that's where that's where I'm, I I look at this and say the free the cap capitalism would fix a lot of this. Not that capitalism fixes things, but like the somebody would invent ways to do this, or there would be enough lobbying from certain industries to to get things. Because, um, but you know, the, things just aren't getting fixed, right? The the various supply chain issues, the fact that there isn't. Uh, aspirin and things on the shelves at the pharmacy and they're short on amoxicillin and stuff like that. So it would all be like fixed through just a pure capitalism approach. So there's more at it right now. There's more interference. Um, taxes on prize shows are not free to register the winning vehicle. You must pay taxes first here. So yeah. Interesting. Um, Free gold stars if you show up for class. Mike McLuhan, uh, same in most states, got to pay the sales tax you where you bought it. So, wow. All right, let's see here. Um, This is Vanessa. My dad was a wartime U.S. Navy vet, yet refused to ever use VA for care. His cancer treatments would have been covered. I could never convince him to get care in Tucson VA. This is Mike McLuhan. Mom's one uncle, Slav, Dropped out of school at 15, lied about his age, got a job at the local steel mill to help support the family. There were 11 siblings. All of them uh, was my grandma, Anne. Wow. Yeah, when I, I shouldn't say when I grew, grew up, but when my, you know, grand my grandfather worked at the paper mill. And I remember back, you know, hearing the paper mill stories of, um, you know, you you could drop out of school 15, 16 years old in these mill towns and go straight to the mill and be, you know, making a, a good wage um, and, and benefits. Right. But, you know, you could, you could be, you could do that at age 15 and, and 16. Um, so, yeah, that's interesting to kind of think about all that stuff too. I, I remember I worked at the uh, cement factory. I, I, I worked when I was young. I, all of us here work, but um, where I lived was where the industrial part of town was, like two blocks from my house, the lumber mill, the cement place and all of that, the cheese factory, like all, like we we're right there. Um, and I worked at the cement factory. It was maybe 12, 12, 13. They paid me in cash. Um, so they just kept a running log of my hours. 
And I only, they only probably paid me like two, three dollars an hour. And I was stuffing styrofoam into uh, concrete bricks for insulation. And, uh, and then I also had my lawn mowing, which was around that time. Um, but yeah, I don't, it's interesting. Um, So, it is illegal to drive without insurance, although there's a lot of people. Uh, that accident I was in was initiated by someone who had zero insurance. So, then after the fact, bought insurance and tried to retroactively claim the accident. The insurance company was calling me and trying to... to their insurance company was trying to straighten things out. And I said, I think your client, you have an issue there. I think they got in an accident and then decided to buy insurance, which probably isn't the way that it works. So, um, yeah. Vanessa, Kitty, first job on the books for me was 15. Okay, from Mike McClune, 15. So, when I was 15, my my first W two job was working at the swim center in town. They built the large indoor swimming pool where the elementary school used to be. Um, and when they opened it, I was fifteen. I um, didn't have my license yet, but I was only a block and a half away, so I could walk there. Um, and then I, so that was my first W two. And I don't know how much I got paid, $3, three twenty-five. dollars <laughs> I mean, it's pretty, holy smokes. Look at look at some of those. And like things weren't cheap back then if you're a kid. Because like a boombox, a CD, like the cost of those were still, like a boombox was 100, a good boombox was well over 100 bucks. A CD was eight to ten dollars maybe i mean so like the stuff you'd be interested like a tv a video game like you know that was about the same cost as what it was today not like even inflation like you're buying a madden football cartridge you know, it's 50 bucks then it's 50 dollars now so anyway i just remember like my paychecks like and be like whoa you know i work 16 hours this week and after taxes you know i got 38 dollars and four cents now, granted, like gas was cheap, and if you went out with your friends, ten dollars could get you get you through a night. But, jeez, capitalism solves all problems. Yeah, so I didn't think capitalism—the fact that capitalism hasn't jumped in yet—we haven't seen that. Um, you know, like. Uh, Eggs, for example, you know, the, the shortage of eggs, shortage of ibuprofen, a shortage of da-da-da, um, shortage of labor that something hasn't been innovated to do whatever. I guess it has been. Like there's a McDonald's now that's 100% kind of just robotic. But, um, but I think maybe capitalism versus like technology and technology funding to come in and do some of these things, it just seems like this is all there's solutions to things, right? Um, and we're not devoting 
the time to the solutions. I don't know. I don't know where I'm going with that, but um, I'm just saying it's it's really weird. There hasn't been there haven't been people to kind of jump in and, and to fix these things. So let's go back to during the pandemic. Remember, like everyone ran out of hand sanitizer, and then they just put the recipes out there, and you had like brewer, little distilleries like making hand sanitizer and stuff like that, and getting it out. Like I just, I it's just it's right now just weird. Like I think things are broken beyond just a natural breaking of the system. I think it's being manipulated. Um, you know, there's sticks going in the spokes, so. Um, one must pay into social security 48 quarters to get them covered by social security disability insurance portion of their social security. Yes. And I think so much that has to be within your last like five years, um, before you claim it, if I'm correct, but yes, yes. Um, this is Mike McClune. I would mow lawns in the summer and snow in the winter before that. Uh, Mom and dad brought me up that if I wanted something, I had to work for it and earn it. Good, Mike. I'm, I mean, this is, this is the thing. Um, you know, that was, it was the same for me. Um, you know, I wanted, I wanted a car. I bought my grandfather's, uh, Plymouth Duster, but that was from the money that I had earned through jobs that were not outside of family. They're not family members paying me, you know, working the cement place, get my lawn little gig going on. I've then worked at the pool and worked at the groceries, all these, you know, things you do as young as a teen and stuff like that. Then, um, I did, I think, take out a loan from them for like a thousand dollars. And then every paycheck I paid, I don't know, toward it $50 or $30 toward it. And then I also had to pay my car insurance. So they had me on their policy, but then they knew the difference and they said, okay, if you want a vehicle, you have to, um, yeah. Every month, I don't know what it was back then, but $20 a month, right? Something like that, or $30 a month. And we had it right in the kitchen inside of one of the, the cabinets, um, open up the door and they had it taped. So then every time I made a payment, I would write the payment down, the date, and then like at the well, initial part. And then as we would just keep subtracting until it got down to zero for the loan. And then the other one was always just. $20 a month or something for car insurance, which would probably be right about $200, 250 a year back then. Um, but yeah, interesting. I ran a paper route. Um, this is Vanessa, my oldest brother. I pulled a wagon, uh, dug trenches for neighbors, mowed lawns, rake leaves, you bet. But I bet I made you appreciate the uh, SNES that uh, much more to you than someone that gave it to you. So, um, our, you know, with our daughters, we've uh, used the approach as soon as they started to to get a sense of the of a value of money, right? So I don't know, seven eight years old of, okay, we're going on vacation. Like you have so much money 
that you've saved away, right? So we're going to take that and we'll give you some, but, or if they, if they want something, right? I mean, we'll, we'll provide, you know, clothes or if there's like a cost to go on a class trip or something. But I mean, if, if you want like a certain Nike type of whatever, then that has to come out of your money. And our our one daughter really hyper analyzes all her purchases for her. I even remember at Disney, she got really um and she was what Disney something she was 13 back then was added to the point where I could see it was taking the fun out of the experience and like, no, you know, you want to get that shirt or you want to get whatever this is, don't worry about it. Like, but she was, but I was appreciative to see that in moment, a very like tempting environment right there of saying, I, I want this. Well, get it. Like it's your Disney thing. So, you know, not every dollar is meant to be saved, but I was glad to see that analytical, you know, process go. Um, oh, Vanessa, I, I see students in college courses who never had a job uh, or applied for any crazy right holy smokes you know one of the things that i'm i'm noticing more with my consulting more than you know when i took 18 months off and uh people are they're i don't know if they're afraid they're has they they're hesitant you're not going to bill them or bill them on time right so if I work for somebody, usually like within the week, I'm billing them out. Or if it's like something that's more progressive, it might be like every two weeks. Like, but but like you're always getting an invoice from me. There's the hours we agreed on, and and uh, and I'll tell you, like I just think people are, are they're people aren't even invoicing for their own labor. If that can be a thing, I think there's some because I mean especially if you're, you're just one person, right? You got to do that. And I think people get behind, but I, but it's weird. They, they mentioned somewhat, they didn't like really get into it. It's not my business anyway, but, um, uh, of, of just, and I mean, I was always boom, always on time with everything. It's not me, but the system that they're having to interface with of just more people who, if they do hourly stuff or project stuff, if they do it, let's say they do a good job. They don't submit, a bill or like you get the bill two or three months later or something like that or four months later. And it's like, well, it is just a weird thing. It's really weird. Um, the younger generations have really dropped the ball. This is yoke and they vote aggressively. Even most kids nowadays don't understand the value of money. Um, it's their parents fault for wanting to hand them everything, which I get, but having to earn things hits differently and in a more long-term kind of way. So no, you're you're right with you're right with that. Um yes. And I I appreciate that you yeah, that that you said that. Um it's it is the it might grow, right? It's if it's if work ethic, but even like um your agency and purpose or or it's it's just really strange. Um but yeah, the the whole sense of money, and sometimes you know we can clearly see that with our kids, the kids that they hang around with, and some of it is really um, it's really surprising because you know they you, you might know the situation situation, and you know these people 
you know, they they don't have a lot of disposable income yet. They're they're taking these trips all over the place and whatever. And you're like, how are you doing that? Like, how are you? Um, and of course, it's debt and not of course, but likely it, it's it's debt and you know, or they'll be like, you know, we were over and sometimes my kids would come back. You know, they'd stay over at somebody's place and then the you know they family would they'd go shopping and buy them you know stuff uh, not like a birthday party like oh like we were out so like you know picked up this this shirt it's matching and but i'm just like i don't know the whole awareness of money stuff yeah i measure i contemplate things quite a bit before i make decisions um that's why for example like owning securities and stuff like that i just uh like i understand but i have a hard time watching my really hard-earned money have those flanks open where you know it can take a dive and you're like come on man it's down whatever i i you know so careful with money so anyway um we make our daughter pay a part for her apartment and car payment this is kurt while in college, she likes to work, but as long as it doesn't get in the way of studying, I, I like that. I like that idea, and probably be very similar to what we'll do with our our daughters. That approach. Um, yeah, I worked through college. Um, sometimes I had two jobs. I had a assistantship, which was pretty easy. It's kind of like helping out the professor. Um, but uh, then I had like. Uh, Menards or Fleet Farm worked in plumbing. That was kind of my thing. So I did that, I think, for four or five years. So, but, um, but yeah, it, you're right. Like, you can't get to the point. Like, I, I knew a couple people, and it also got to be kind of like this dude, he bought like a brand new truck. So then he had to like work 40 hours a week plus go to school to pay off this truck. And I'm like, well, you should be focused on your school part. That's your whole career right now. You know, you didn't need this truck. Um, and that's a, yeah, like when you're in school, you got to make sure you're focusing that time or if you're getting a certain degree or a certain training. So, wow. Um. Vanessa is saying you can attempt to teach people how to learn, but it's up to that person to actually do it. Yeah, you got it. Um, look at Andrew. Voting should be a dollar per vote. If you pay ten thousand dollars taxes, you get ten thousand votes. So TJ Martinell, Mountain Pass podcast, has opined a, a few times on uh, where he thinks there should be. A, uh, some commitment to owning property um, or, you know, kind of some other vesting system for voting. Um, so, but yeah, I vo voting has gotten to be, right, you know, these ads for these, these bigger, they're even hitting in smaller areas like for school board and stuff, but people are running thousands and that is million dollar campaigns, not for school board, but you know, these other state positions, millions and millions for these commercials. And it's proven to some 
high level of of efficacy study, the more you spend, you can basically get yourself your victory, right? Yeah, through so getting your name out there and billboards and all that. And not always, but I mean that. So, but if you're running whatever campaign and campaign managers, so I don't know, didn't work for me. I didn't, I didn't put once one sign out there though, but didn't. Um, yeah. Crazy. So uh, let me check here. All right. So today, oh, so if you haven't um, uh, subscribed, well, yeah, <laughs> please subscribe. But yeah, hit the like button. I appreciate it. sharing the show, uh, posting um, questions. I'll answer them, but that helps the uh, algorithm. Um, so I appreciate I appreciate that. But uh, so. Yeah. Um, bystander effect. So my, my takeaways from that kind of like go back to, so the bystander effect is there's emergency situation. And if there are a lot of people present, then there's not an individual who's stepping forward to help out. And the fact that this group is there inhibits the person. So, and there's three reasons why, or there's three types of bystander effect, I should say. The the one is someone who's saying, okay, there's a hundred people here, right? So if this person dies, I'm one one hundredth responsible because any of us could have acted. Um, the second one is fear of being judged. Did I do this right? Should I have intervened at all? Um, but really, yeah, my, oh, you didn't use the right technique to, you know, uh, put pressure on a wound or something like that. Or you, your CPR attempt, your Heimlich maneuvers. But, um, and I think this, this exponentially increases with the number of cameras that are out there providing evidence that DAs, um, district attorneys tend to jump on, right? If you have some even if it's like a crazy angle from somewhere. And what I'm saying is someone is like thinking there's going to be all this footage of me. What if I use some very bad technique to try to help somebody or what if it looks in this case, like I was contributed to, to this, See, I'm running up to them and I couldn't stop in time and I ran into them and that hurt them even more. But um, even if they're people, if it's only them, and something's happening and they, they look and there's like a camera up there, a surveillance camera that will be an inhibitor for them because even if it's just static surveillance, ring cameras and all the stuff, people less likely, and you'd think it might be the other way around. They would say, Oh, that's going to vindicate me if this does become questionable because now it's on video, but no, it's not the way it works. And number three is pluralistic ignorance. And good way to think about this is again, you're in that crowd of a hundred people and you are like, whoa, um, I know I got it. This person is like, they've, they've got this cut. They're bleeding out. Like I've got to, 
that, you know, some accident they were in, you know, and I need to go put pressure on the wound. Like that's what I have to do. That's what any of us would have to do. But you're, well, wait, you're thinking this, that's what I should do. But the, then, then you're looking around and you're like, well, other people aren't going up there. Maybe they know you, you don't do that again. What if there's fentanyl involved? What if this EMS is almost here? Somebody, somebody here probably called EMS, right? So EMS maybe is a minute away. So I, um, but any, this whole thing, but so you think you start to think you you talk yourself out of it really quickly. So pluralistic is, but the fact is if you take these other people, like these hundred people and you just individually ask them to be like, yeah, I, sh- I thought about getting in there and like putting pressure on the wound or like, you know, taking my shirt and using it to put pressure on the wound or, you know, whatever. And then these people, they're like, they all had similar ideas, but they'd felt everyone around them had already analyzed it and come up with reasons to not intervene. So like, if you intervened, you obviously aren't the smart one because you're not as smart as everyone else who figured out what they should be doing, which was nothing like, so, so you're looking, they're saying, there's a reason they're, they're not going up to them. You know, maybe there was like this big, this fight or so there was someone who just took off and they're going to come back or, um, but yeah, I, th- I think these are these are fascinating points to to know because, of course, they come into all aspects of safety, school safety. Um, but yeah, very interesting. I think I think the one that I spent most time the most time on was the fear of being judged, um, because I was like, okay, this is from 1968, but like really very few cameras back then. I mean, just it'd be still photo, right? Say, but what does that look like today and kind of, you know, getting in the surveillance state and the fact that, yeah, if you have your own, like Joe Doley, if you have your own recorder, uh, your pen recorder, your own, or you have your own dash camera or whatever, that's one thing that's, but what, you know, if you're relying on somebody's ring bell or some security camera, the side of a building to vindicate you, you know, less likely you're going to see that and be like, Oh, like this video is going to be scrutinized. Versus like, because you know, whatever your video is recording is what you're doing. You're acting in the, in the best interest of, of that person or the situation. So, um, uh, so name, Nick, nail, Nick, the system count or make. Make the system count winners for the congressional races across the entire state rather than subset of districts. So our house seats are run on a district drawn weighted average, basically depending on each party control every 10 years. So, wow. All right. Good deal. Oh, there's my bike. <laughs> hey, let's bring my bike up again. So where this picture, this is a couple of years ago, but I will bike. This is a dead end road. There's a house down here. I'll usually bike to about right here. Now over here is a railroad, like literally 300 feet over big railroad. And then the other side, that's Wisconsin river. 
And up here, old farms and effigy mounds, uh, about an eighth mile that way, thousand-year-old effigy mounds. So anyway, th this is a really nice place to just pull off, set up the bike, and eat, like right here. So, But these people up here, once in a while, they'll come down, they'll check out. I'm just grabbing something. Just, um, but these, those are days when it's like 80 degrees and sunny. And by then I've been out for like three hours at least. And I'm like, ah, just miss that. Right now, this is all snow and ice. <laughs> Nothing's here. It's just cold. So, but, ah, so anyway, Yuke is, so Yuke, Staves, send me some Staves photos when you got them. If you got a timeline for me, buddy, it's almost midnight here. Ridiculously rough uh, year. So take care, buddy. Appreciate you being here. Staves. And this is for a good friend, Yuke. Yeah. It's also for Yuke. Thumbs up. So. Yeah. Vanessa, your shows are always a good learning experience. Well, thank you. It, you guys, uh, I appreciate the the chat. Like I said, you, you bring up a lot of great things that uh, you know I hadn't I hadn't thought about. Um, so I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm going to I'm going to be using that. You know, I'm going to be bringing this this stuff in. So I appreciate that. Um, all right. So dun dun. dun. Da, da, da. Okay, so I appreciate everybody for watching. Uh, this is show 200, believe it or not. Mike, this is episode 200 of the Safety Doc, officially 200 shows. Um, now, we've had more, but uh, these are shows that have a blog post, and then they also have the, uh, the leveled audio. So if you go to the playlist, as of tomorrow morning, it will have 200, 200 shows in the playlist, which is really cool. Like, I never thought I would be there starting out. And then I had a friend of mine, um, it was Hector Solis, who was a guest on the show, and he had done the typical uh, dad podcast, and he had uh, Crime Waves, his different podcasts he had done. and But he was sharing the analytics, and he said, you know, if you're if you do like a show, um, it was something crazy. Like most shows don't get to 10 episodes, you know, before they shut down. Uh, it was something like that. And, you know, if you got to, there was a certain threshold, like, but if you got to like a hundred shows, obviously it was much more likely you're going to get to 200. And then I don't know where it kind of went after that, but cause you'd have your system down and, you know, you're probably still enjoying it. But then, you know, this burnout point too, if your channel didn't grow, in a certain amount of time versus what you're putting in. So, you know, which I think are all factors. Like, I mean, you guys have been great. The show's grown and things, which is, is good. Um, of course it's good. But, um, but anyway, like it's, it's a great milestone because it's scholarly content and you guys have helped iron sharpen iron, but, uh, you know, and people, I don't talk about the show that much, although, you know, some relatives and stuff ask about it or, um, you know, they, they know, cause if they Google me, there's, it's, there's so many episodes, stuff like that out there. And then they'll just, 
you know, when you say like you did 200 shows and then you say, well, there's a blog post and these shows are all like at least an hour, if not longer. And there's like a, <laughs> there's topics and um, they're like, holy smokes. And, and so, and for me, I've just been like, holy smokes, like to think of 200 episodes. Wow. So yeah, 200 in the books um, that are actually there at safetyphd.com. Um, and then Podbean and, and YouTube. And I'm almost, I'm not almost done. I've got to make sure I get it done here in the next few days. I got to download about 30 episodes yet that were lost to at least have those. But uh, that's cool. Um, people cite if they've been on my show, sometimes they'll cite it in like a job reference or just in their professional, whatever, like they were a guest. And of course, in my books, I reference people who've been on my show. So it gets cited, it gets a little bit of attention there, but, but it's been good in like five years. So it's evolved. Um, I had, I lead it, Kenny, the witcher or, or the folk magic, uh, expert on one of my shows, man. So she was a great person, but, uh, so just a range that we've had here on the show. All right. So Corey, Vanessa, Mike, everybody, uh, take care. And, you know, um, Appreciate you, Bacon. So, yeah, very, very much so. Um, cool. And uh, Kurt, yeah. Good, good night to you. Uh, and night to solitude. So I'll, I'll take us out here, guys. And I think show uh, 201 is going to be, we're going to talk about the prizes for uh, uh, to to curb truancy or whatever I have some title, but I want to do I want to have if you know an EMT, um, I'd like to interview someone and say has fentanyl killed the Good Samaritan? So that's actually a good title for a book, which I'll never write because that's not my area of expertise. But uh, has fentanyl killed the Good Samaritan? Um, maybe. So, all right, okay, we're gonna fly out of here. How were the beans and chili that you had for breakfast? They were delicious. Thank you for asking. But now I am very gassy. I'm sorry to hear that. very bad. I have to open the window. Oh no. My cap flew off and it was sucked into the engine. Holy smokes. The engine just cut out. We should use the decide model to help us make the right decision. Mayday. Mayday. I am declaring a beans and chili emergency. Please advise for landing.